Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm Michael Rothman, Editor-in-Chief and President of Consequence of Sound, and I'm here with my co-hosts... Randall Colburn, the rockin' one. And Mackenzie Gerber. Now, you can hear us pretty well, right? I think so. That's yes. because we're recording from a studio here in Chicago, Illinois. That wasn't always the case, though. When we started this podcast, we were actually huddled around an old Yeti microphone in Mac's apartment that he doesn't even live in anymore. That's right. And there were not four or three of us. There were like six or seven. So we wanted to go back to our older episodes and make sure that you, constant listener, actually have a good grasp on knowing that this is not how it's always going to sound. (laughs) You know, it's a very rough quality, and we just happen to have that rough quality over Stephen King's most iconic books. So Yeah, it's rough. But I'd say, yeah, for Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Rage, and The Stand, I believe. Night Shift, too. And And Night Night Shift. Shift. We recorded those episodes in a very sort of primitive way, um, doing our best. That was before we got our studio, which makes us sound so lovely. Uh, But yeah, so you'll notice that the audio quality is going to be a little bit not up to par, but... I'd say the content of the conversations are still very, very good. I'm very proud of the analysis we did. You'll notice a few other changes, too. Like um, in these early episodes, we talk about everything. Everything. Yeah, we didn't like now we stretch our legs a bit. We do separate episodes for the movies, for other things. And for here, we're basically like, let's talk about all the Stephen King news, as well as the book, <laughs> as well as the films, as well as the plays, as well as everything. So these episodes run long. Um, well, I mean, a lot of ours do, but these run extra long because we're talking about those things. And you'll also notice that kind of the way that we break down our conversations now is a little bit different. We refine that over time. Yeah. So, so yeah, you'll notice that it's a little bit rougher, but it's the same quality Losers Club content and that these, you've always wanted. these episodes nearly killed us. Uh, the <laughs> Night Shift episode, I got the flu because we recorded... For everything, we recorded for eleven hours straight. Yeah, I think. two yeah. episodes back to back, covering all all what twenty stories, all twenty stories, and, and the movie, and the movies. Oof. It was exhausting. I was, I think, towards the end of the episode, I started fading away. Dan started uh, crying. Dan started crying. <laughs> I cried in the Shining episode, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, th- th- these episodes are special. They're very good episodes. They're very special episodes. But we did want to make sure that you didn't go into the this podcast thinking that it's going to sound like this forever <laughs> because obviously. Obviously, as you could hear from us right now, that's just not the case. Yeah, if you're just popping in to hear like, oh, I love Salem's Lot. I'm going to check out this new podcast. Why does it sound like they're recording underwater? You know, we just never really thought that. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we were testing things out. We were yeah. seeing if anybody would even care if we did this podcast. And luckily, a lot of you guys did care. And you listened and supported us and followed us on social media. And so we were able to, you know, beef up the sound, make things sound better, expand our lineup and refine the way that we do things uh, as it is now. So. Because so much has changed mm-hmm. since 2017, not only with us, but the whole world at large and you're going to hear about all of it as you're journeying through each one of these episodes so why don't we let you take your bagged lunch and your old warm cup of coffee 
and enjoy a long, long, long night shift. Welcome once again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. Um, with you, as always, is me, a host. <laughs> My name is Randall Colburn, and I'm a senior staff writer with Consequence of Sound. Um, we are on our third episode of our Night Shift uh, series of episodes because, you know, there's just so gosh darn much to talk about. So uh, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes where we talked about our 10 least favorite stories in Night Shift and then our 10 favorite stories in Night Shift, uh, you're not required to go back right now and listen to them. You can probably listen to this episode without that, but it might be good. Um, and we would, you know, really like the listens. But for you guys who have listened and have given us iTunes reviews or commented on our Facebook or our Twitter or our Instagram, we really appreciate it. We love talking to you guys and hearing from you guys. And, you know, if you haven't left us an iTunes review yet, um, please do, because it really, really helps our ranking in the iTunes store and just gets more ears on the podcast. As you guys have been listening, uh, like I said, we talked about um, all the Night Shift stories so far. And there's so many film adaptations uh, of these that we needed to basically devote an entire episode to it. So that's what we're doing right now. We're going to talk about all the film adaptations from Night Ship, even some of the, um, what dollar are they called? Babies. The dollar babies. Uh, Love those dollar babies. Yeah, we got Some f- of them are great. Yeah. You might say they're million dollar babies. <laughs> Actually, no, that doesn't make <laughs> any that sense. That doesn't make any sense, yeah. No. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, so uh, we're going to do that. But before we get started, we're going to go around and introduce ourselves, and we're, we're going to discuss... I think we might have touched on this a little in previous episodes, but uh, let's all just talk about the first Stephen King movie we remember seeing. Um, I'll start. Again, my name is Randall Colburn. I think I probably, I feel like I saw scenes from Carrie when I was really young, like, but it didn't register. I didn't really know what it was. I think I walked into my parents watching it once, and it was like, you know, when she's covered in blood, and my mom, like, grabbed me and, like, ushered me out of the room. <laughs> but I was, like, so scared of horror movies when I was young, like, deathly afraid of them that I really avoided them. So, honestly, the first Stephen King movie that I watched in its entirety was The Stand, which is what led me to read my first Stephen King book, which was The Stand. So it was an important watch for me. Mike? Well, the first horror movie that I ever saw Wait, by Stephen you? King. Oh, this is uh, yeah. <laughs> who Sorry, are you? just jumped right in. Um, I'm uh, Michael Rothman. I'm editor in chief of Consequence of Sound, and um, I uh, am also a Stephen King aficionado, as you've learned over the past uh, six episodes. But uh, uh, no introductions necessary. I, uh, I, you know, assure you. But uh, my, my actually, my, my first Stephen King um, experience as, as a film was when um, my own dog uh, savagely um, oh. started eating my mother um, in, my, in front of my eyes. And I had to shoot him in the head. Um, no, I'm joking. No, that did not happen. But Dolores Claiborne. Um, I actually uh, Dolores Claiborne. Yeah, yeah. I was actually thrown in a well um, at one point by, uh, by my father. Um, he's like, I don't want my children anymore. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I Pet Cemetery. It, it, it honestly was my first one I saw. I loved the uh, I loved the poster. I insisted on us renting it. Um, Unlike Randall, I was not afraid of horror movies because uh, they were an escape from the horror movie that was my house, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I um, I just I loved uh, I loved renting those uh, these movies at Blockbuster. So um, I uh, did I did not have any restrictions um, on my account for Blockbuster. They had a little note that said like this kid could you know rent everything. So everybody <laughs> really? they, they, yeah, they did that. yeah they did yeah they had uh, I want that which is why like yeah. I was it was this little pudgy fat kid that was coming in there being like I want to get a Sega Genesis game and then also a two movie two horror movies right now and. Like, you know, shaka Genesis, 
And um, it was it was awful. But um, so Pet Cemetery really was the first one just because of that poster, and it terrified me. And I don't think um, I I don't think I really finished it. I think I watched like up until maybe the Stella um, or not the Stella Stella. The Stella. <laughs> Zelda, Zelda. The Zelda se- the, I, I watched up until the Zelda sequence, and, um, and that's it's an early morning. Fucking terrifying, and it's terrifying. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I think I turned it off at, at, at that point, and I, I probably finished it with my father later that night, but I don't remember. But um, so yeah, that was my, that was definitely my first. I, I picture your father like waking up at two yeah. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Mike, we must finish. Yeah. So sorry, <laughs> it really was actually, you know. Uh, on that note, I'm Justin Gerber. Um, I'm with Consequence of Sound as well. I'm also a uh, king aficionado, Ooh. Um, as well as a cigar aficionado. Oh, you like cigars? It's a great magazine, too. You should check that out if you can. My earliest memory would be way back in the 80s with Stephen King. Uh, it was a local Phoenix, I think it was a Fox affiliate, uh, TV45. Any of you uh, Phoenicians listening? Phoenicians. <laughs> uh, Arizonians listening out there, if you could back me up on that. And it was a little. If they movie. are. They probably are really happy. They're probably ha- living living the high life right now. Yeah. But um, I lost my train of thought because of all the rage <laughs> going through me right now. But um, it was uh, Silver Bullet mm. on the old channel, and uh, which is a fun little horror movie, we'll, fun little werewolf movie, we'll be talking about in a couple months. Um, I remember an early crush of mine was uh, Megan Follows, <laughs> who played the older sister in Silver Bullet. And she was uh, Anne and Anne of Green Gables. Oh, and, uh, that's right. Who played on, Green Gables? Um, Clark Gable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dan Caffrey, a senior staff writer at Consequence of Sound. Uh, my first Stephen King cinematic memory, uh, I actually didn't know it was a Stephen King movie at the time. It was Cat's Eye, but specifically the troll segment in it. My the dad, troll. Yeah, my dad had, I think, just put that on VHS for me, but not the other two. And, I mean, Cat's Eye isn't really that graphic of a movie, but as a four-year-old, I don't think you're going to be interested in The Ledge or Quitter's Inc. So he, he just put the general on there, and I think I, I always put it in the same league as, like, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. the kind of, you know, twisted puppet movies that I liked a lot when I was younger. And so, like, and then later on, I, um, I saw... After I'd read Night Shift, I saw Cat's Eye, and I'm like, oh, this is a Stephen King property, even though the general's not based on a short story of his, but he did write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember that all, that little little troll causing mischief uh, <laughs> while a police cover plays in the background. Oh, oh I, yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. They, yeah, they couldn't, yeah. use, they couldn't get the rights to uh, to uh, Every Breath He Takes, so they had to do a cover of it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. Sad, yeah. That's so funny. Oh, yeah, that's so we'll so talk sad. about uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, to piggyback off that, I'm Mackenzie Gerber, and I'm a co-host of Gerber and Gerber on uh, Consequence of Sound. Uh, I watched Cat's Eye, I think Cat's Eye or The Stand. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I watched a lot of this stuff when I was young, really young, but I think it was probably Cat's Eye on TV or something. It was horribly edited. Uh, and or The Stand. Um, but probably The Stand. <laughs> I don't want to go back. I think I said that in like episode one. So I'm going to say The Stand. S- someone's listening. And I will uh, stand us. by it. And with that, uh, let's. we're going to do the movies in order that they are in the book. So uh, in that vein, we're going to start with Graveyard Shift. And really quick note, um, the Dollar Babies we'll be discussing separately. So I don't yeah. think there's a Dollar Baby of Jerusalem's lot. But if we get to any of these and you're like, oh, no, there's a Dollar Baby of Long Yeah, we didn't Man. watch all the Dollar Babies. Yeah. We just watched a couple. Yeah, yeah. please keep in mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'll watch the hundreds. <laughs> yeah. We did watch a bunch, but yeah. um, we will also uh, conceptualize some of these as films uh, towards the end. That will be a you know separate chapter of this. Uh, this I wasn't prepared to do that. So well, we'll, we'll rip. <laughs> That's when we'll have uh, a little more fun. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, yeah. great. Uh 
Well, let's just have Dan. Why don't you just uh, give us a, um, an idea of what Great Sharp, Great Graveyard Shift is like as a film? So, Graveyard Shift as a film is uh, well, not much of a film to be honest. But um, and I think it goes back to the problem of they took this, you know, this very short story and they tried to stretch it out. Now, in the film, from what I remember, they actually don't capitalize on the gross rat stuff as much. The the kind of big reveal is that it's actually this bat, this mm-hmm. like huge blind bat that's in the cellar killing people and. I don't know. It's not just not as scary. So I mean, it's it's the same basic plot as the novel. They it's in this mill and they need to clean up the basement and people getting people are getting killed and they had to find the source of it and it's this giant bat and they they add in some more conflict with uh, the foreman. Yeah, the foreman. The there's a, there's an exterminator and all that. Um, but and my roommate Bill in college who uh, he directed the Dollar Baby version of uh, Survivor Type from Skeleton Crew, which is actually great. That yeah, good friend really of, good. of Mike and Mac and I. Um, Bill, for whatever reason, he just went on the Stephen King like binge in college, was just buying every single Stephen King movie you could find. And he bought Graveyard Shift, and we watched it quite a bit. For it being not like a great movie, there is something very B movie and and campy about it. Um, and I will say this: I there's not a ton of great stuff in the movie, but I kind of like how the bat looks. It's kind of slimy and, mm-hmm. and gross. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, no, I mean, I remember watching it with Justin, I think. I can't remember this is when another, this was. But when we were Phoenicians. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, I remember thinking, especially because a bat was involved, I thought, oh, this is going to be like a vampire story. And then when <laughs> I realized it was just a giant bat, it wasn't that impressive. But, um, yeah, I didn't really like it. I just remember being in awe that the, uh, I think, what, what was his name's in it? The, uh, the, the dad from Monster Squad. The dad <laughs> from the, Monster the Squad. Foreman, right? He's the foreman, right? Yeah, I think he's the foreman. Yeah, man. and uh, I, I always liked that little connection. Uh, yeah. I and it also, <laughs> it also stars Brad Dourif. Who he is very, I think Brad Dourif. He's Durf, the exterminator. Yeah. Brad Dourif is the exterminator, is one of the only people in the movie who I think can, he, he's really, because he's a really good actor anyway, but he's really good at handling kind of campier, over-the-top mm-hmm. material. Let's not also forget about Andrew Divoff. I was going to say, oh. the Wishmaster himself is in this. I mean, the supporting cast yeah, is strong yeah. in this. I don't know. Hey, it even has the guy who uh, uh, basically started the apocalypse in the Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Um, David Andrews. Oh, a young David Andrews. Well, young and, David I think Andrews. The, and I think the, the issue with Graveyard Shift, yeah, it's not even the casting necessarily. I think it's just, it's just this idea that it's just hard to make a movie. Unless you're doing something radically different, it's really hard to stretch this short, gross story into like a 90-minute movie. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I feel like after reading the short story, because, I, again, I watched a lot of these adaptations before I ever read Night Shift or were, was familiar with the stories, it's so apparent that they just... For some reason, it's like you have this great base but they just didn't add anything to it. It's like they just stretched it out for another hour, and it's just not interesting. The, you know, quote-unquote MacGuffin isn't very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the idea of, like, yeah. like awful rats. Like, you got to do something a little cl- more clever with the story than just being able to say, like, well, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of rats down here. Like, you need to have, like, some sort of tension, and I don't think this film gets no, that. No, and, and, and the problem is the book... And you know we've gone we've gone over how the short story the character development isn't great in it uh, necessarily, but the thing that it is good at is it it's really good at ramping up. Okay, first there's a rat above the ground. Then we go down. There's a lot of them. Then they're getting bigger. Then some of them are blind. Then some of them have wings. Then there's this big cow rat. It just does this this ramp up progression that's great. That's perfect for gross out horror. And the movie doesn't do that. They don't really do much with the rats themselves. It's like no. oh there's rats. Oh, and then there's this huge bat, and I think if the mo- and that's probably for budgetary reasons. But if they had been able to really just build and build and build and just like push that grossness, I think it could have been a more effective. I think to echo what you were saying, Dan, with a short story, you can kind of get away with a lack of character development. Yeah, you only have you know 15 yeah. pages mm-hmm. or so. 
But when you're making a 90-minute movie, you, you do have to add a lot more. And again, these are the, it's basically the same. A lot of these characters are based on characters from the short story. They mm-hmm. didn't do, I think the Exterminator was obviously an addition. He's added, yeah. Um, but there's just oh, boring, boring boys going down to the tunnels. <laughs> I'll know? just say that I think what you know, building off what what you said, Dan, about the the ramping up. But I think what's great about it is that even though it ramps up in that sense, it's still, there's something so overwhelming about it Uh because we see like one rat and then you go down and then it's like a flood of rats and then it's some, and then like, and that's enough to fuck your senses and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And like in such a short period that it benefits from being nice and tight because it goes from like zero to 60 and then crashes, you know? And Mm. it's like, it needs that, um, the constrained quality of the short story because if you're drawing it out you you sort and then like you said like it's you don't get the escalation to the bat you get sort of like the rats and then the bat where you know you need the escalation Mm -hmm. and like that moment of um like it has to happen quickly Mm -hmm. i feel like yeah because in the story as it's like as they continue to go deeper this guy starts to kind of get it more and more unhinged so much so he ends up like forcing this guy to go deeper into the tunnel and you know got by the giant rat bat because a bat does is what finally kills the main character in the short story at the end remember because he sees the cow rat and as he's running away one of the flying rats like puts the wing in his face and wraps his, its tail yeah. around. Yeah, the which is so freaky. Did, does anyone else like the way the bat looks, though? I, I think the bat's kind of I remember nice just looking. from the trailer, you see everything, and they do yeah. show the giant It looks all right. It's kind of, yeah. kind of it's, a, it's big, it's slimy, it's hairless. It, but again, it was like pre, CG. pre-CG, yeah. and always I, appreciate. I always appreciate yeah. you know, the, the monster work that's done in these oh, movies. I want to also say, it's incredible to think that if this type of movie was released today, it would go straight to, to on demand. Yeah. Yeah. It would go straight to iTunes. Yeah. It was number one at the box office. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the incredible thing about this series, this style of movie is just one of those straight to VOD, not even a limited release. So it's crazy to think how much has changed in the last 25, what, 30 years. What other King movie had come out right before that? Maybe it was Riding the Coattails. I want to like, say, popular. Bef- right, I think the same year or a year before was Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Oh. The, it, was, it was also. Um, and that was a huge success. And that was a big success. That, that book I read, the Stephen King films FAQ, um, which is great. It talked about how th- this was in kind of the glut of Stephen King adaptations, mm-hmm. which the eighty. If you look at the number of Stephen King movies in the eighties, it's kind of crazy, yeah. and there there aren't a ton of good ones. And they for the, for the premiere of this. Oh, the, and this is this is something I think is important to note because I I think this is cool. They did film it in Maine, and Stephen King made a big deal in the eighties about trying to kind of revitalize the not revitalize vitalize the, <laughs> fil- the film industry there, and. You know, so he did get excited that they did actually film it on location at a mill. Like, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think he really did take some, him and the producers take some measures to try and really contribute to the community and create jobs. I think that's really cool. And then they had the, the premiere of the movie. I I have to look at the city. It might be like the Banger Mall or something. It was whatever, it was whatever like movie theaters attached to the mall and Stephen King went to it and they had a giant rat cake that they cut. And so they, I don't know, I, I, there's like a down home sort of element of of the movie and a lot of the Stephen King 80s movies that were filmed in Maine that although they didn't necessarily result in a great product I, I respect I respect that they tried to like well they weren't trying to something. they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel no it's yeah. like it you know I think that maybe for that time and where horror was at that time it was probably a fine way to spend your evening mm-hmm. you know yeah and it's a, it's a creature feature you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah this is also an early uh a little cautionary tale because I remember reading about how Stephen King was really quote unquote liked Mm-hmm. Graveyard Shift and really was 
propping it up. And he, then of he course, was promoting of course, it. Yeah, promoting it. And years later, dismisses it. So anytime I hear about how, how perfect he thinks it is, how great he thinks the Dark Tower is... Let's not. Hey, let's, you know, he's getting some money off of this. It's in too, his. So, it's yeah. in his interest. Exactly. To say that so, these things are great. Let's not get too excited <laughs> about these things. That's all I'm saying. Um, is so. Is there a better movie that could have been made of Graveyard Shift? I think there's a better like short film. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like like if this was in Cat's Eye or something. I think if you tightened it up and delved into the the deeper we go, the more just things we were going to find. It could be really good. I, I think there's two ways you can go about any of these short stories, and, and that's either you make it more of a suspense thriller where you don't even reveal the rats until near the end. Mm-hmm. You make it much more of a mystery with like a real taut filmmaker, or you, like you said, you, you just shorten it, make it like a really gross 15 minute short film. Tales from the Crypt episode. Uh, yeah, Tales yeah. from the Crypt episode would have been perfect for this type. Well, of there story. is such Absolutely. a there is such a great innate fear here. The idea of if you see one rat, the imagination. Uh, makes you or you see like one cockroach like in yeah. your apartment you suddenly have that moment where you're like oh my god in the walls it's just mm-hmm. a wall of cockroaches like you don't know where it's coming from and what and that's sort of what that you remember the finger story oh, in the skeleton crew is it mo- the moving finger or something like the that? the one that comes out of the drain yeah which mm-hmm. is a great stephen king story but i love the idea of like whatever it is that's coming that is down there, like, that's just the finger. Like, it's so much bigger mm-hmm. than that, you know? And I feel like that's sort of... I love that kind of fear. And, like, I think that that is the most powerful thing about um, about the story of Graveyard Shift is the idea that you see this rat, you see this other rat, but underneath, it's not just, like, a family of rats. It's, like, a world, like, a society of rats. Yeah. And, like, and that, to me, like, plays upon really potent fears. But when you can't show that escalation that ramping up that you're talking about the 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 de-evolution of the rats the blindness the wings and everything then you kind of lose that horror i think it would have been cool if they discovered the king of the rats is the rat man from the stand he's, on, he's in the and, and go, the rat man forgive you yeah. this time <laughs> yeah. and then the movie ends that would be amazing though i would have been on board with that do you guys think it's safe to say i mean obviously i don't think any of us love night or love graveyard shift the film i actually don't i don't think it's the worst movie on this list and i don't think it's the Oh, it's not Stephen the worst King movie addition. on this list. It's not. I mean, I don't like the movie. I haven't seen this movie in over mm-hmm. twenty years, personally. But I, I remember not liking it when I saw it. I remember having no desire to see it again. Looking back, terrific supporting cast. Yeah. Good, good, good effects too. And, and, and you know, I do think that for whatever reason, maybe it's because it had a semi high profile release. Graveyard Shift. I feel like it just gets remembered as being like one of the worst Stephen King movies. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's not great, but I don't, I don't think it's. I definitely don't think it's the worst. I don't even think it's the worst on this There are worse films. No, no. We're it's about to talk place. about a far worse film. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's move into that. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is was released in 1995, and it's based on what I would have dubbed an unfilmable story, <laughs> uh, and that's The Mangler. Well, Randall, let me Randall. just tell you, it, it's still an unfilmable story. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Mangler, uh, 1995's Mangler, was directed by Toby Hooper, so you think... Maybe this could be, you know, pretty scary, pretty good. Uh, you got Robert England in there, hamming it up mm. like crazy. Uh, Ted Levine's in it, you know, so we were like, oh, maybe this will be actually entertaining. And it, it was entertaining, but in a different way. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't or aren't familiar with The Mangler, um, here's a little description for you. Police and parapsychologists race against the clock to stop a demonic laundry presser that demands blood sacrifice. <laughs> That's right. There's a movie. It's an hour and 46 minutes oh, of that. Geez. Um, 
<laughs> how many times people just happen to get close to this laundry press and then are attacked is nuts. Uh, it's crazy. The, the, the movie is awful. Uh, well, how? Because I, I haven't seen The Mangler. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they... Is it more about the mythology behind it? Like, what do they pat no. it out with? It's just the mystery the whole time? It generally follows the, the story uh, pretty well, but they just add a lot of stuff to it. Like, you know, Robert England plays like the... The, the owner of the the laundry press and oh, just he, hamming he, it up he, every you know he's he's he, he he apparently had been mangled at some point to an extent uh he, you know he oh is he, that way he, he has like a he's got arms. you know he's, he's got, got a voice box he's got scars braces he has an eye patch i mean he he, he takes it to like the 50th level in oh. this movie just like stomping around with his leg braces on would you say that he was mangled and oh, that he was oh. mangled so hard that he came to respect the mangler. Well, that's the thing in the um, movie. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like a cult of people that have like fed blood to this machine and become like a part of the demon. Yeah. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Um, uh, yeah, no, well, no, no, no. it's an interesting idea, but <laughs> it, it just is. A, it's it's laughable. The machine's laughable. If you're going to make a movie of the mangler, there that's a decent way to try and make it. Like yeah, this. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm... I'm you guys are, uh, you're trying to feed me shit. I'm just hearing gold in my ears right uh, now. Let me say this. Yeah, that, that's, tell you this. Yeah, this is, this is no Dan. gold. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Silence is golden, and that's uh, a lot better than that, watching this goddamn <laughs> I'll just movie. say this. The reveal um, of that, though, Dan, doesn't happen until, like, the last two minutes. It's not like you're yeah, going to figure yeah, out. Okay, oh, yeah. No, this, the, the, the greatest part about the Mangler is um, being able to make fun of it for about an hour and 45, uh, 46 or yeah. whatever, how long it is. Because what we kept doing was we would pause the film and go, we can't, we could only have like 20 more minutes in this. And it'd be like an hour and 10 minutes left or like, you know, oh, or like, you know, another 40 minutes that we would go by when, we, when they'd already seemingly solved the entire thing. I mean, there's a point in the film where there is no more mystery left anymore. Like mm-hmm. they, they're like well, absolutely know what's going literally on. Literally thirty five minutes into the movie, yeah. they they already come to the conclusion yeah. that it's it's probably possessed, and the way <laughs> it gets possessed is really crazy. Oh there's my a God. there's a fridge that was possessed, and by transference, when it randomly hits the mangler because they're moving it out of this facility and happen to be by the laundry president it is electrocuted and but that doesn't even make any sense either because it's not because, because there's they already been no had the cult. blood there's been no blo- well yeah exactly they're apparently this already this cult and it's already yeah. been possessed but they try to explain it like well it was possessed by this ice box which is from the story which yeah. i appreciate which i think is the, the scarier part of the story actually um but yeah it's it's ridiculous ted levine gets his coat gets caught and he shoots his coat off <laughs> to get away from the, it, it's it's so crazy um, it's also one of these movies when you're watching it and you just know there is no way in hell this was shot in the United States of America. <laughs> they try to make it, oh, it's definitely in shot somewhere in Maine. Of course it takes place in Maine. You're like, I was like, no, that actor is absolutely from South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely shot in South Africa. And it turned out it was like South Africa and yeah. Australia where they ended up having to go to How would you describe the gore it? effects? The gore... Well, well, before, yeah, while right. you describe the gore effects, do it in Ted Levine's voice. Oh, oh well, you know, I thought the, uh, the gore effects were pretty, uh, it was a lot of fun going back and, um, you know, filming the, you know, filming with Toby and he was a great, you know, great well, I feel like, to be around. I feel like the best part of the story is sort of the, the uncanny description of people's bodies being pressed in that unnatural way. Yeah. Are they able to uh, capture that? Well, there's some really cool effects but you see you only catch glimpses of the aftermath of them being quote unquote mangled sure which is disappointing because if you like freeze frame it you see like oh 
I'm sure a lot of money was put into this effect. I wonder if this was a ratings issue or something. Like they couldn't linger mm, on these no, destroyed bodies. I don't know. Because in those moments when people are being mangled, they literally show them being like folded and pressed. And it's, it is pretty graphic and good. But there's so much of the movie that's not that. Where it's just like Ted Levine and his friends sitting in like their like Firefly garden. Ugh talking about you know life and you're just like what the <laughs> fuck are we doing here like you you have like the, the you have like the ability to do these things and um and, and, and i mean they, they do do some strange cg stuff at the end uh oh. when the mangler comes alive but for the most part it's like practical effects and 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 cool kind of gory stuff but it's just barely there i mean it's another one of these latter day post i don't even know post fun house um toby hooper efforts where Everything is so brightly lit. It's uh, just it takes yeah. you right out of it. It just it looks it just looks and feels so cheap. And it's just it's incredible when you think of like a Toby Hooper, even, you know, I love him, but John Carpenter and how these directors kind of run past their expiration date as innovative or interesting on, filmmakers. On uh, Mick Garris's podcast, Postmortem, he because he's you know good friends with all those guys, yeah. he was talking about that to um Oh no, I'm sorry, it was the Brady Snell's podcast. He was Mick Harris was a guest on yeah. it, and he was talking to Brad Eastnell about like horror directors going past their prime. And he, what he said about Toby Hooper, and and it made sense to me was he was like Tony, Tony, Toby's brilliant. He's a visionary, but he's only as good as the script. The script is like he. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an amazing script. I mean, it's not much of a script. It's just kind of a situation. Even Funhouse, and I, I think I I wonder if. I think he's just a director who needs a good script, and if he has that, he can make, I mean, literally genius horror movies mm-hmm. out of it. But I, I think in the case of The Mangler, like I said, having not seen it, but it doesn't sound like the script is great. <laughs> well, I've got some inside info. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when Ted Levine did a random role, I was about to AV talk about Club, this. Yeah, I got yeah, um, it's, it's funny. He did, uh, he talked about The Mangler, and um, I'll, I'll give a read what he says, because it's, it's really fun. Um, so they asked him about The Mangler, and he said... Uh, I was horrified when one of the principal crew people just thought The Mangler was a masterpiece. That was a gas. <laughs> the Mangler was fun. I mean, it was in South Africa, and one of the beauties of this business is that you get to go to these weird places. Of course, they're places that are on the verge of war, basically, and this was right before the elections there. Mm-hmm. I had all these white girls wanting to marry me and get the fuck out of there. It was hysterical. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they would have filmed yeah. this right before apartheid. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so South Africa, South Af- and I don't know if he was in Cape Town or somewhere else, but, like, South, I mean, I've, my wife's South African, constant listener, so I've been there a, few, a couple times, and it's, um, I love South Africa, even today, there, you know, there's a lot of tension there today, yeah. too, and um, back then, I mean, holy hell, like, like, 90, <laughs> yeah, 94, like, like right the the worst, worst time to be there, and um, I nowhere else, no what other uh, Stephen King properties being filmed in South Africa that we're a little worried about? It's the Dark, Dark Tower. Tower. Yeah. Uh, maybe a... Hopefully it's better than the Mangler, I guess. Well, we'll see. Well, uh, Ted Levine went on to say, and Toby, Toby Hooper, he kicked ass. They had no budget for that. I don't know who was producing that, but there was money from some strange place. And we were, <laughs> and we were in South Africa, and the Mangler, once it morphs into the monster... They had built the monster, and we went into this warehouse. I went in there with Toby and the rider to see what it looked like, and it looked like the 4-H had built a fucking float. (laughs) (laughs) It was this big kitty cat-looking thing with an articulated arm, but it was just the most ridiculous thing. And Toby was like, God damn it, that's not... (laughs) What the fuck? What the hell is this? I can't use that. 
<laughs> that's funny and it's not supposed to be funny. Oh, he man. was out of his mind. But that's what I remember about the Mangler. They ended up getting the money to do this weird primitive computer generated deal, I think. But I think the Mangler has some merit for those who appreciate a schlocky kind of grade D horror movie. He says, I know I do. Oh, I mean, look, don't nice. get me wrong. I had a much more... Um, I guess a, a, a fun time watching this as opposed to some of these other yeah. boring-ass horror movies that we're going to talk about. I think we've really undersold how horrible Robert England is in this stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they make yeah, this clear. Say, he's, this, he's this old, decrepit, like, uh, disgusting old man that, like... Has girls working at the the factory, but they don't, no one gets a free ride. And like apparently he's like sleeping with them, and it's just it's ridiculous. He puts on this like grotesque uh, effect, like this this voice. It's kind of hey hey, I'm over here. Really grandiose. All of his half of his scenes take place with him on like this catwalk, looking over at the events happening. And then yelling at people about what's happening, and you feel <laughs> yeah. like these were all shot in five. Minutes. These were all shot like in yeah five to ten minutes, like two months after the shoot was done. It's one of those type of movies. Well, he probably had an opera to attend or something. Yeah, <laughs> with like you know with, with Fulci and uh, uh, yeah, we uh, constant, constant listeners. We are endlessly amused by Robert England's relentless name dropping in interviews and uh, kind of. The way he he props up his cultured. Um, well, he, he, well, he always <laughs> says I'm a classically trained actor. Which, if you say that, that just means you stu- either got a, a master fine arts in acting. Well, or let's, you, yeah. let's let's pause for a second because only a classically trained actor <laughs> would have been able to pull off the, the you know this role with the chutzpah uh, that he uh, that he offers in this. I mean, at one point. Um, I don't even think that he realizes he's in the same movie anymore. Oh no, like, he's gone like, off. The, he's gone off. The, the there's a point where he's in a, in a room with like this woman. And he's like threatening her or something, and and I turn, I remember turning to you guys and being like, "Are we watching the same movie anymore?" Like, like yeah. I feel like we're watching like a, a like a Showtime like like a weird dark red shoe diaries thing. Where like you know, <laughs> well, you seem like when you're a classically trained actor, you can shift and exactly. change your complete character in like a moment's notice. And and look, to be fair, we're huge Nightmare on Elm Street fans. Yeah, Robert England, and I mean, from what I can gather, he's a very nice person. But even in that um, Never Sleep Again documentary, yeah. the makeup guy says he's he's like, yeah, you know. We love Bob, but oh god, putting on his makeup every day, he would just sit there and talk for eight hours straight about like all these all these like celebrities he knows. So he yeah, remember he says that and like I, every you never hear a bad word about him. So I think he's nice to everyone. He sounds it's easy like to oh work Bob, with. That exactly. Thing. He's kind of just like the old the old star fucker. Yeah. Well, man. I feel yeah. bad for whoever did the makeup because he's in a lot of makeup in this too. Yeah, yeah. yeah but his god. performance makes his uh, performance in like, Freddy's Dead look like you know. Like, yeah. not like classical acting. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day, like Klaus if, Kinski if, if you haven't seen The Mangler, definitely check it out because it is just, then you just be in on the joke forever. And uh, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. And there's I, also <laughs> a, a, just an abysmal twist ending. That is what is the so, twist? Oh, wait, should we spoil it? Uh, uh, well, we're spoiling everything else, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it turns out like the spirit of the evil transfers into this young woman who's kind of been like the put upon version throughout the whole film. The, yeah. the, the put upon, you know, character of the whole film. And so it ends with with her turning around and trying to do her best uh, Robert England as the foreman accent, and kind of like has and she's, and she's got a patch I think or she's crippled now and, and oh it would be funny yeah. if she turned into a mangler <laughs> she, she turns like, into the float yeah. it's like that Nightmare on Elm Street four with like the cockroach where like her arm just comes off and it like becomes like a <laughs> like you know I'll do a dance for you I can say I'm a classically trained actor because I did Shakespeare in college exactly Ooh. exactly like every actor and, in and the I city sucked. we know yeah. <laughs> I, my, I guess my problem with the the mangler overall is just that. 
for one, it's not that compelling of a story if you really think it's about it. It's not our favorite. I mean, it's a joke of a story. Like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I look at the Mangler in a sense of he might have just been looking around the room <laughs> and been like, what else could I make evil? And yeah. he's like, and like, you know, Tabby was just like, Steven, did you take the laundry <laughs> to the thing? And he's like, um... And he, like, left his room. And, you know, he has those set hours where he has to write, yeah, right? Yeah. And so he, he probably, like, had, like, he was, that, that, he was in that mindset of writing. Like, got called in to doing a chore. Went to go, like, get the laundry done. And saw this, like, you know, machine. Yeah. When he was waiting for the ticket. You know, it's probably sitting there like, oh, I should be writing right now. <laughs> Sees this machine and then decides to, to write this ludicrous, batshit crazy story. That has now spawned, like, I think there's like three films now, right? Yeah, there's uh, The yeah. Mangler 2 and The Mangler Reborn with Lance Henriksen is in one of those oh, two. Man. Are they, are they all, he's in the second one, I think. Uh, oh, are, the, yeah. and, and we're not, um, listeners, we're not going so much into sequels, obviously, because we, yeah. we'd have to do three episodes about Children, children of the Corn. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, and also, most of, the, most of the sequels to his movies, like, sometimes they come back again, all that stuff. They don't really go much They're into the original things. story. So I yeah. guess my question on The Mangler, is it at all tied to the original? Because sometimes they come back... One of those, oh, like, no. the same, the same. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, like the the the. It's the same uh, cop and like blue his ribbon. friend is the blue ribbon, or is it blue ribbon? Is it? I love that that happens yeah, I again. I thought it, the sequel took place like a school. It was like. Oh no, cyber. I'm sorry. I thought you meant it does the Mangler movie. Is that a direct adaptation? No, no. The, the sequels to the oh, to the they Mangler. go off. No, they're loosely. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. And I don't oh, even yeah. think it's about a laundry press no, anymore. It's I think like it's about like, the internet. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of goes. It's very lawnmower man. It's like yeah. the lawnmower. It kind of goes oh, the Hellraiser man. route of just let's slap Pinhead in here for three seconds to make it the Hellraiser movie. Well, because like yeah. most of Hellraiser scripts aren't Hellraiser no, scripts. Yeah. They're other horror movies. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, Die Hard. Die sequels. You're talking about Inferno. Oh, yeah, Mac <laughs> loves Hellraiser Inferno, so make sure you go. Is that the one out. with Fat oh, Hellraiser? That's, that's with the yeah, yeah. yeah. That's with the, uh, the old uh, cowboy Cinnabites, and uh, although I do like Torso and the Twins. Okay, that's another podcast. <laughs> um, so I think that sums up our thoughts on the Mangler. So let's let's uh, jump forward to 2006. Um, that was when there was. Um, a bunch of adaptations of various Stephen King stories called Nightmares and Dreamscapes from the stories mm-hmm. of Stephen King. And in that, we saw an adaptation of Battleground, which was pretty low on our list of stories um, in Night Shift. Though we still kind of liked it, but it was yeah. pretty low on our list. So. I love the story. Ma- Mike I had it very high. I didn't Mac really like it. it. I had it pretty <laughs> low on the, on the totem pole. But I will say... I really enjoyed the Nightmares and Dreamscapes yeah. uh, version. Not only did they tackle this in a way that was, you know, interesting. It's, it's, it's a story that's more interesting to see than to read, I think. Yeah. Um, and, but they tried to do this thing with it where it's literally it's like a silent film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Hurt's in it, and uh, he's, he's great. Uh, but, he, but he doesn't speak get. at all. There's no, there's no speaking in it. And, and we were kind of blown away by Didn't that. Didn't Brian Henson um, direct it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Henson's son directed it. Uh, and you think once again, like you know, it, it, how can this how can this be? How is it going to be good? Uh, I, I thought it was pretty. Good. I thought it was pretty good. I it actually good. liked it a lot. I was really um, impressed with literally. I mean, this isn't like like for the Buffy the Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a famous episode called Hush, where most of the episode is spent in complete silence. Everybody's lost their voice and, and there's no more episode. sound. But there is still dialogue in the beginning and end of that yeah. episode. This is from the moment it starts to the moment it ends dialogue free and there's ways to get around that he's got headphones in a lot of the time nice and he's also just like your ultimate silent assassin who's literally silent mm-hmm. and he's in the apartment by himself so this is not a case of 
that we ran into with Mick Garris The Shining, where Jack's talking to himself about how horrible everything is, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just him trying to figure out a way to destroy these little little army men, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be, let's be fair. William Hurt's had, like, ten lines his entire career. Like, History of he violence. never talks. History he of violence, he, like, oh. got, he got nominated, but he has, what, like, Like, two lines, lines I think, or something like that. Yeah. How, I love him in Dark City, though. I, 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 oh, I forgot about he's in Big Dark Chill. City. He's great in Big Chill. Well, I love I the Big Chill. I just think it's really smart that they waited. It's like I'm glad that they waited until digital effects mm-hmm. could really make. Because I feel like with Battleground, you need like techno- technological innovation to make this work. Yeah, and th- that's what was really cool about it was a lot of it was perspective shots where they had people dressed up as army men, mm. like not necessarily CG, like doing all these things, mm-hmm. and then it made it seem like they were small, but they did it in a way. That I thought was really good. Oh, also the the uh, trilogy of terror doll makes yeah. an appearance. Um, oh, which is really fun. Which is really fun. And, which is funny because um, that's what that re- reading the short story it reminded me of the short story that that is based on the trilogy of terror, yeah. the Richard Matheson. And story. sadly, the trilogy of terror doll gets it. Uh, oh, the, uh, <laughs> that trilogy of terror doll is so scary. Oh. Holy hell! Um, but uh, it, it, it's very interesting. I think they told Hurt that there wouldn't be any commercials. It was just going to be literally like a, a straight hour of. Uh, of of the thing and 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 I like to think that he was like I'm not doing this unless there's no commercial. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, like that, that was the selling point for him for some reason. <laughs> I guess corporate. I don't want these corporate like hogs all over my acting. <laughs> well, whatever, it's funny because you know? <laughs> I think this is the only non Nightmares and Dreamscapes story that's that was in that limited series on mm-hmm. TNT at the time. Because yeah. they did Umi's Last Case, they did yeah. uh, I forget what the other ones. I actually ha- I haven't seen this. Which is weird because I'm a huge Brian Henson fan. He directed him up at Christmas Carol, which is one when of the best movies. I love your favorite it. movie of what year? Uh, Ninety-two, I yeah. think. Yeah, I love. Uh, we we uh, all of us idiot nerds over here. We all we all we all uh, starting with Justin Gerber picked our favorite movie from every year we were born. Oh, I can't take credit for that. Was going on the internet for a while. I think the mic uh, did one, and then we went from there. Well, well he, my, he my, took it back to 1920. I did. Um, I will say that. Yeah, jeez. You should put, you should post that screenshot. You know, I will. Uh, yeah. If you guys are interested, I will post my favorite films. <laughs> From every year that movies have been uh, being made, uh, something I, <laughs> yeah, something I did appreciate about the um, this adaptation was that they they actually show the hit of the toy maker. Mm-hmm. Like I feel oh, like the story just starts cool. like it's over. You yeah. you don't you you know that that happened. Yeah. But you actually see him go in, kill him, and all that stuff. The bad boy and, and you toy see man. <laughs> some of the toys like in the in the shop that don't necessarily make an appearance later, but like you just see them kind of like looking at him. Kind of happens, and you, yeah, it's very it's very kind of interesting. And it's. I mean, the, I mean, it's, it's as violent as you can get on TNT in 2001, too. Like, you can, like, feel, like, the little nicks from the mm, helicopter yeah, hitting him. And, yeah. and, and the effects, like like you said, Mac, they're really good. Like, the, the helicopter flying around was a lot of yeah, fun to watch happen. Yeah. Well, they really ramp it up. Like, the, the suspense is even there. Like, you think it's all over, and then there's that sequence in, like, in the water. Yeah. And, and there's with a the, sequence on the ledge, which is kind, which of, is a, kind of an homage. homage to the ledge from Night Shift as well. Do you guys think that... Um, so you're saying it's a mixture of practical effects and perspective oh, effects yeah. and, yeah. and uh, CGI. I mean, and that has to be because Brian... I mean, Brian Henson yeah. is so good with that. I mean, even yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol actually has some CGI in it, and he's always been really... I, I'm not against CGI at all, but I think you need to use it in a way where it's blending in with reality and I think he's always been good yes. at that yeah and I don't think that they would have done this one or chose this one to do that without his help because yeah. he, he does it so oh, seamlessly he's a wizard yeah. yeah yeah this was 
it was really strange thinking about because for some reason I did not watch any of these when it was on. I know this is kind of before DVR. Maybe I was working at night. I didn't even hear about it until recently. Because again, I just I missed all of them. I think there were eight in total. So I'm really looking forward to you know 25 years from now when we get to Nightmares and Dreams of being able to dive in and find these these episodes. But the cool thing is, is that you can find some of these episodes on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's how we that's how we watched it. uh, Battleground. So Battleground on YouTube, really good. Very cool. Um, I'll need to check that out. I missed this one. Yeah, me uh, too. But you know what I didn't miss? Uh, a little movie called Maximum Overdrive. Because <laughs> we're in trucks territory oh, now, baby. God. Um, oh. So so uh, this is probably the most notorious film on this list, uh, if we're using notorious in its proper usage. Um, this is a very um, uh, over-the-top kind of film. That's a great way to put it, my, uh well, you can go ahead, Mike. Well, it's funny it? that you say over the top because, you know, in over the top, he drives the truck. I wonder if that, there's a connection there. <laughs> there could be a connection that the truck became um, self-aware and became friends with, like, well, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone did <laughs> play one of the trucks in Maximum Oh, he does. There's yeah. a scene where he's, like, walking around um, the, the gas, uh, you know, <laughs> thing or whatever. He's like, oh, hey, I'm going to kill you. Um, no, um, this is a... This is a joke of a movie. Um, I said, well, let's, let's go around. Let's, let's go around here. It's, we've all seen it. Some of us have seen it recently. Some of us haven't seen it in a while. Dan, I know you you still defend it, but you haven't seen it in how long? Yeah. Oh, I watched it the other day. Oh, oh my god! god. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me ask you. This, this changes question. everything. Let's yeah. ask, let me ask you this question. We're having a lot of fun here. How high? Was Stephen King on a scale yeah. from like one to ten when he made this? Oh, think? very. He said it was. He's, he has said it was at the height of his yeah. coke addiction. So it's the height of his coke addiction. He's working with an Italian crew from Dino De Laurentiis that literally doesn't speak English, and he had a translator who also didn't speak great yeah. English. <laughs> and also, the, if you there's a whole a bunch of lore about his deal with Dino De Laurentiis. Just like he would just like scoop up the rights to Stephen King films and. I got I got to give Stephen King credit for loyalty because he kept trusting him with these and they, they were like so many turds. I but love yeah. Dino. I love Dino. Yeah, he's got he's responsible for some of my favorite movies of all time. I, so I yeah. can't you know I can't fault him on that. But I do I do love the image of you know Dino calling up Stephen. It's like you know yeah, come on up like, come on up for some whiskey <laughs> and like they're having or like some bourbon or something. And they're like, he's what's like, your next story? <laughs> yeah. you know? Stephen's like, ah, oh, you bought another one, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like really sad. So we all again with uh, night shift. Really, all the stories have got their value to them. You know? Oh yeah. And so, and I really like trucks. You know, I thought trucks is a trucks pretty, is pretty, high pretty good short story. Yeah. I'm with I'm with Trump. I love trucks. <laughs> hey, I got the sticker and everything to prove it. Um, <laughs> One thing. But this yeah. takes. It, it starts off explaining what has happened. So there oh, we yeah. go. The mystery of why the it's trucks like Star Wars. gone. You've got. ACDC on repeat. You've got like this takeoff on the Bernard Herrmann psycho <laughs> score with guitars oh. instead of strings. I love it. How about I, it? You love oh, it. Oh, no. Dan. And also, you know what? Here's awful. Dan, before you start defending <laughs> this piece of garbage. <laughs> garbage. Um, it's, I don't know how they did it. You thought, like, like the Mangler, for instance, it was pretty boring, but it was entertaining and how dumb and awful it was. This is just boring. Yeah, it it's, is like boring. A, it's just a boring movie where, where nothing happens. It, I, I'd say the first 10 minutes are really good. I, yeah. The first 10 minutes are really, when everything starts to go to hell. I think Shyamalan tried to capitalize that on the happening. But um, it's, it goes downhill 
once they get to that diner. Yeah. Really, I mean, really cool. Well, because you also have the most annoying characters in the world. Oh, um, God. Like, I love, uh, I love The Simpsons, and Lisa, Lisa oh. Simpson's actually my favorite character on The Simpsons. But Ridley Smith. Ridley Smith in this movie is mm. just the most annoying character that has ever graced the screen. And I probably said that multiple times in other podcasts, but I'm a hyperbo- <laughs> hyperbolic person. Hyperbolic person over here. Um, there are multiple problems with the film. One of them is ACDC. I love ACDC. I thought they were great at Wrigley Field. I got to see them when Brian Johnson was still with the band and it wasn't each Axl Rose. Um, I cannot handle like a, an hour and 45 minute movie with ACDC playing every goddamn scene. And it like ruins the movie. Like you, you just, there's no fear in that whatsoever because you're constantly listening to, you know, like Angus Grimm just going off Angus on the, Young? Uh, Angus Young. <laughs> Angus, <laughs> Angus Grimm. Angus, yeah, he's like... <laughs> Angus Grimm from the tall man, Yeah, the like, tall man's uh, with a six-tree. Man, I'm just like off names today. But yeah, I just... Uh, that's a great image. Just, uh, you know, Angus Angus Grimm in like, guitar, in like the um, the Australian like, uh, like boxers, boxers just like, you know, like this. Uh, no, but Angus Young, just listening to him riffing and going nuts for like an hour and 45 minutes, I, I started getting a headache when we were actually watching it. And, and it's... Well, because... It diffuses any tension, or yeah. like, there's, there, there'll be a scene where it could potentially be really scary. But then the, there's that music again that, that bang, ding, bang, ding, ding, on the guitar. Shoot the and it's just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it's like, are we watching Last Action Hero here? Yeah. Or are we like? And again, I'm not asking for this to be, you know, our new Vertigo or anything like that. You know, but I just <laughs> want it to be a fun, dumb movie. Like, for example, something we all saw recently and enjoyed, Kong Skull Island. Mm-hmm. It's a goofy. Monster movie. I was hoping for this to be a goofy monster truck movie. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, but it wasn't. But also, like, I think the the best thing about the short story is that it, it it felt very like isolated and quiet and just scary. Like I a mean, carpenter just, just movie. Subtle. Yeah. In this, every single appliance is going crazy. You got people being electrocuted by pinball machines. It, it's just so over the top, and yet there are certain shots of cars that just never come to life in this movie. Right. Yeah, there and are. so it's like, well, what, how, what, why, why not that car? Oh, lazy. The explanation that there's a, a they're in the a wake comet. of the stream of a comet, so that they, they're just trying to, have to wait this out. So the comet's <laughs> never, no, the comet's not always going to be there. So <laughs> why don't they just, why don't they just wait it out and then? Well, they don't know. It. They well, don't the know audience that. knows it, I guess. Which is even like, why yeah, even tell how us? Long yeah, are they we don't be in need to know. This comet. But the thing that's good about the short story is that they don't explain it. Mm-hmm. There isn't necessarily no end to it. So it's just kind of like haunting when they look up at that airplane. They're like, I hope there's people in that. Well, there's an it's airplane crazy. scene in this too, but they diffuse attention by playing uh, Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, we really come? Do we remember the trailer for this film? Oh, yes. Oh, uh, we, I, just, I referenced it a few minutes ago. That I'm going oh. to scare the hell out of you. Uh, yes, <laughs> but he also says if you're going to do something, you got if you want to do it right, do it yourself. He's like, I'm, it's, it's hysterical. Because uh, he... Because he wrote, yeah. directed, I probably produced, was probably someone. He's a producer. I know yeah. Yeah. Person, so. We should definitely play that clip too. Yeah. Uh, audio. Um, all right. Uh, let's uh, let's ease up a little bit. And the trucks hate guys or the the, the maximum overdrive take. Because I or I, Randall, but how do you feel about it? Because I think let's get the negative out of the way. Well, no, the, I mean it's, middle, uh, it's. I've only watched half of it because I found it so tremendously boring. <laughs> it is. Movie. Um, I agree with Stephen King, who has called it a moron movie. Um, he says it's his worst adaptation, and I wow. love—I just love this uh, IMDb trivia bit here. Yardley Smith is greatly embarrassed by this film. Really? <laughs> but I, I know. And, and she was in Herman's head. <laughs> I know who also is embarrassed. Uh, I mean, I know, like you just said, King had declared that too. He also uh, admits it to his fans, like um, our friend Bill Hansen, yep. who we just mentioned before. 
I, when when me and uh, or Bill and I actually had a chance to actually uh, meet him when mm-hmm. he was at FSU, which we had discussed in the last episode. Um, Bill, I brought a, I brought my edition of Pet Cemetery. I sign. brought Skeleton Crew. You brought Skeleton, which I still and have, he yeah. brought Bill brought Maximum Overdrive the DVD. <laughs> and when Bill handed it to King to sign. He goes, ah, oh, you're a glutton for punishment. Yeah, and, like, uh, I thought that was great. And, when, like, and I was living with Bill at that time. Bill framed it. Yeah, and so in our hallway, we had this frame. I think he even, I think he even took the DVD out. Like, he it did. Was a platinum record. Like, yeah, he did. Okay, so oh, it was so good. I. All right, let's bring it out. All right, let's get something straight. I'm not saying it's a great movie. Okay, I, and I and I agree. <laughs> I do agree with your guys' criticism that it definitely uh, loses steam once they get to the diner. Mm-hmm. The be, the be, but that's still like that's about a half hour into the movie. I think the first thirty minutes is. I love how over the top <laughs> it is. It's a completely different function than the short story, of course, but. Mm-hmm. That baseball scene where like the oh, yeah. coach is getting the oh, yeah. soda cans and like it it, it kills him right it kills like, him. Soda, it shoots it right and then a, a fucking bulldozer comes through and plows down a bunch of kids in so the bridge scene. Yeah. But I don't know, and no, I, I, I and I actually don't like ACDC that much as a no. band. But and I, Stephen King said it's a moron movie. Absolutely, <laughs> I agree with that. ACDC is more on music in the same way. It's just this. It's repetitive. It's just it's yeah. one note. It's driving. And I think I think with all that in mind, like the caveman part of my brain just really likes this movie. And uh, w- once again, when I'm thinking about all the memorable scenes. Most of them are from that first thirty minutes. Yeah. But yeah. I do think the film does capture this like exhaustion. Like it looks so hot in the movie. It does. Like, when they're there, and when Emilio has his pump that gas pumping montage actually that do, it does sort of give me fatigue in a way that I like well Emilio I, was like he was clearly like high as well during this whole movie you think so? yeah, he, like, he was either stoned as hell wait was he has he had drug problems that was I don't know he, I'll just say Charlie this. does he looked like he was very tired yeah. his <laughs> eyes were very but, that, but that's before anything even happens but I kind, I kind of like how I kind of like how it goes from just batshit craziness to fatigue and then with the end back to batshit craziness a little bit um I love I love that the the head truck has that green goblin head uh, that's on the front. Kind of, that's pretty iconic. The, there there, yeah. there yeah. are just some cool touches to it. Like I said, not a great movie, but and I don't know maybe it's just because I remember I watched this and Stand by Me back to back when I was a oh, kid. Oh so man! Anyway. And and so, I know, my, my dad's always had a soft ends. spot for this movie too. And maybe maybe it's that, but I, and I. I like how they have this dumb happy ending with them on the boat and like they have the with, like the, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know and then they they have like the little summary at the end also like right? like oh mm-hmm. the comment ended and everything's okay and I, yeah, yeah and I agree you don't need to know why because here's the problem because they say that comment thing then it does make you think like well wait why is this machine getting it and this one isn't whereas yeah. if they didn't mention it you wouldn't be thinking you know all that yeah. so. Is it a good look? I'd probably give like a five or six out of ten. I'm not saying it's oh, an ama- yeah. I'm not saying it's like an amazing movie. Probably I'll go six. Six. Let's say six. But I, it's it's still a lot of fun to me, and I, I love the mixture of just shock value and, and fatigue. And I mean, it opens with Stephen King getting called an asshole by an ETM. You know, what, what do you want? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I agree with Leonard Moulton. But yeah. uh, with, after uh, he explained this great review over here, um, but uh, no, um, I, I I think I think I think somewhere in here there is a better movie yeah. that you can sh- shorten it down. Um, my this actually is one of my earliest experiences with the King film too, mm-hmm. because of Joe Bob Briggs, um, oh, who oh, used to do it on Monster yeah. um, Monster, Vision. Monster Vision. And I remember as a kid being frightened by a lot of this stuff. Like I, the idea, there's like a scene with the kid mm-hmm. where he's riding his bike through the neighborhood, and you see like all the dead bodies everywhere. That's creepy. And that's like there is like legitimate like like scary. There's moments one with in the that. dog where a dog has like a remote control car in its mouth. Yeah, and it's dead. That really. That's like yeah. Out. Oh yeah, totally. Like then, that, that stuff's good. It's just. If you condensed it down to like an hour and twenty minutes with all the good stuff, 
and got rid of a lot of the other things and this weird characters. romance that doesn't really do anything. Speaking like, of the romance, there's a little pound cake in the film. Oh, there is oh, a yeah. lot of pound cake. But it's funny. I, the thing that stuck out to me was obviously amidst uh, all the chaos in, in this small diner, Emilio Estevez and this young woman um, have sex. And then they have the donuts afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always like stuck out there. Do, do we that need to change pound closest... cake to donuts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we got some donuts over here. We well, actually, oh, Mike uh, very kindly brought some donuts this morning. <laughs> and I had two of them. I think he was like, in the back of his head, he was like, you know, maximum on a track. Here's a yeah. fun, here's a, some, this is actually a tragedy that occurred on set. It was not the smoothest production. No, they no, would no, have no. you believe. And uh, so an accident occurred um, as they were shooting. Uh, a radio-controlled lawnmower used in a uh-huh. scene went out of control and struck a block of wood that was being used as a camera sport, uh, support, and it shot out a bunch of wood splinters, oh, God. which injured the director of photography, Armando Nanuzzi, and uh, he lost his right eye. Oh, oh, my God. A real case of Maxim Overdrive and a real case of the lawnmower, man. Too, yeah. A little bit, man. I know. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, like... Um, I was reading, there's a great oral history that's so long on this movie, and oh, I, read, really? I read a good chunk of it, And um, but the f- creepiest thing, of, a lot of it we've actually touched on, yeah. like a lot of the stuff about Dino De Laurentiis and like how the movie came to be, and various things like that, and then just King being coked out, and like it being mass chaos <laughs> on set. I love it. But the, the, the creepiest <laughs> thing about it, and I guess it's not that creepy, but this is super, I mean, because you know, it's his wife or whatever, but uh, I, I love how I proceed it with that, but um, yeah. this is a little bit of pound cake. Oh, I know, I know, I know exactly what you're yeah. going to say. The line, it's, the line in the movie. The, no, oh, no, no, this is not. Oh, this the movie. is the, behind the scenes. Stuff. Behind yeah. the scenes. Oh, I don't know about. Although this. Uh, we'll want that line too in a moment. Oh, but uh, yeah. uh, to help um, remember Tabby while he was away, he had some of her panties with him what? that he had Wait. brought to set. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, who is he? Has Steven, he confirmed this? You, you uh, it was in the oral history. I don't know if he's confirmed it. No, look, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and also, hey, look, we were kind of sweet. If we, I know. I'm and look, it's we've, his wife. you're it's married. Sweet, you're sweet married treat. a long time, and he, we've read. Just and I read Lysy's story, and um, he, he goes <laughs> into he goes into some weird old people sex and that that I wonder if him and Tabby have done. You're like, hey, what? You're married sixty years, however long they've been. Not sixty, 60 years, forty years, 60, yeah. forty years, probably. You know, whatever. They got and that's fine. In six. It's, I think it's more disturbing that everyone knew about it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, I think he was very open about like, it. Yeah. yeah you, I could just see him all coked out. And he's like, all right, we did seven takes. I'm going back. I got the, I got to get the panties. Yeah, I, I get, the, I got to get the panties. It's like, like, it's like, it's like all right, Steven. I'm just sitting there on set in between this scenes. Is, just, oh, yeah. <laughs> like he's Frank <laughs> from Blue Velvet. Yeah, it's like, Blue yeah, Velvet. Man. You know, like, Oh, that's oh, man. Steven I, wants to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I can, wait, where is this oral history? I gotta read this. Uh, yeah. It's it's on Slash Film uh, yeah, because they did this movie on how did this get made and for a while they were doing uh, oral histories of all the movies that were on that. Wow, so it's man. really exhausting. I gotta read that, yeah. Yeah, we've touched on a lot of the stuff that's in there. A lot of it, it's, it's, it's really heavy on just kind of the backstage production yeah. work, which, you know, is interesting, but... You know, not necessarily something we need to discuss the, on the podcast. The pa- I thought you were going to say, and it's in the same vein as the panties thing. Uh, there's when we first meet Yardley Smith, and uh, oh, who's yeah. the? Isn't her? Uh, who's the male actor with him? He's like he's got. Hasn't he gone on to do stuff? I don't there? think so. Yeah, anyway, they're, they're driving and they're newlyweds, so it's like oh, they're you know they're they're all frisky, whatever. And he, she's like, oh, pull over, I got to pee, and he goes, ooh, can I watch? Yeah. And, and it's supposed to be this like cute thing. It's just kind of it's not cute, kind of gross. Yeah, it's just there's like. But I don't know, I, I like the girls. Then again, though, if you're being directed by the guy who has his wife's panties in his purse. Hey, so. I, I love <laughs> schlock horror. I love it. Yeah. I grew up on it. Slasher films and everything. But, um, God, this movie just does not 
capital. It's, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whiff. It's there a is, good there is one. Um, there is one uh, part that I was like laughing at rewatching. It's actually in a good scene. It's the scene where the kid is riding around yeah. looking at this. Up. Like, yeah, like in the first twenty-five yeah. minutes. And I don't think that kid is, is a uh, necessarily a bad actor throughout the rest of the movie. But in that scene, he's he's looking at everything that all the dead people and stuff. And every single time it just goes on a while, he like looks at it, bows his head, and he's like shakes his <laughs> head. And like they do it so many times. And I think that kid, I think he went on to be a producer, but I think he also got into some uh, legal trouble. Ooh. Later. Ooh. No, that's wrong. The kid who played Mark Petrie from Salem's Lot yeah, went on to get like like insurance fraud or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, apologies to the kid at Maximum Overdrive. He's fine. I think he's like doing all right. No, um, there's he's a still lot. playing baseball. There's yeah. actually a lot of um, there's a lot of great character yeah, actors. Pat Hingle, uh, uh, yeah, Pat Hingle. But like deep in the cast, you've got Leon Rippey of uh, Deadwood, eleven twenty two, who was also in eleven twenty two. Who's he playing in, uh, in eleven twenty two? Or no, in uh, in uh, Maximum uh, Brad. Oh, just a patron. Just, Look at the yeah, big brain on Brad. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's Brett from Pulp Fiction. Uh, oh. It was a flawed. Uh, no, I, I like that reference. <laughs> but um, uh, Robert Gooden, uh, he plays Barry, but um, he's a guy who like I can't tell you what he's been in, but I'm looking at his photo right now, and I've seen him in a million things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like, uh, and then Giancarlo Esposito, oh, yeah. Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, Death by yeah. Pinball Machine. I yes. believe it is. Yeah. No, Death Wait, by that's Arcadia. Him? Yeah, coming back wow. this season on Better Call Saul. Frankie Faison of The Wire. Yeah. Yeah. Love Frankie Faison. And a Faison. million other things. Sounds and uh, Sounds of Limbs, which also was Dino De Laurentiis. De Laurentiis yeah. so. oh, wow. and, um, and Manhunter. He's and also Manhunter. a Manhunter. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. Um, and then we've got a deep. There's a player deep in the thing. Second woman. Guess who she's played by? She is the second woman in more ways than one. Because she was Donald Trump's second wife, Marla, Marla Maples. Wait, yeah. who is she? I mean, I just watched this movie. I didn't recognize like any second of woman. Second woman. <laughs> we also have Stephen himself at the ATM. I love that. And wait, Tabby is wait. Tabby right there also? She, you can't see her face. She's wait, maybe she, she, that was her, when she dropped. I think her uh, panties are yeah. in there. Wait, <laughs> oh my god! I like to pause something. Let's think about this. So Marla Maples is in Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. yeah. And Trump recently just, was wearing a button that said "I love trucks." Do you think he still is, is carrying a torch for his uh, his uh, second well, there, wife? And there was that story in uh, Us Weekly about how Melania Trump and him apparently sleep in separate bedrooms. They do. She hates him and all that stuff. And uh, so maybe he maybe he's pining for Marla. I mean, you know, you know, um, I, I I don't think I'm stretching too much when I say it was probably Marla Maples' uh, involvement in this movie that got him interested in trucks. Yeah, Ooh. that's pretty cool. To so the point where he now loves them. So it's been like 30 years strong with him loving trucks. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a really cool promotional photo of him like stopping by and like the set and. <laughs> Like, oh, I'm just here to see what Marla's doing. And they're like, hey, Donald, why don't you get behind one of those trucks for us? The Green wait, Goblin truck. Yeah, the Green wait Goblin. Wait a second. He's like, wait. King tweets all the time about, about Trump. Mm-hmm. Oh. I want, and, and Marla Maples was famous at that point, right? She's so he, thing, yeah. he directed She was her. really only famous for... Uh, Donald Trump cheating on his wife with her and then them getting married. Was this right? was this pre that or this is pre that? So I'm I'm just wondering. I, I mean, I know, does, does Stephen King have personal contact with Marlo Maples and just, can he get dirt on Trump? This is know? like a Russia situation. If, 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 he, if he was at the height of his coke addiction, I don't think he remembers any of that. So nah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, unfortunately. All right, listeners. If it, I, I don't, Stephen King, I don't know if he knows who, who we are yet, but. Maybe some of you out there have tweeted at him and he tweets back. I think we need to get a little conspiracy theory yeah. around going. <laughs> you gotta maybe, tweet Marla Maples to him. Maybe we can maybe we can uh he may not remember Marla Maples is in his movie. Maybe we can take down Trump. I mean I've heard of I've heard of Maximum Overdrive. First there was all the president's men, now we've got all the king's men. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, 
Um, I think it's time to talk about the uh, probably the most popular King adaptation of all time, and that is the 1997 TV movie Trucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, indisputable, yes. Yes, and so Which only uh, you have seen. Only I have seen of this crew uh, because I remember seeing it when it was on TV. Uh, I remember actually being excited about it at the time uh, because I was like. Because I, I, I remember when I was a kid, I tried to watch a little bit of Maximum Overdrive, and it was so unlike the book and so, like, deeply violent at the beginning that I, like, uh, it just disturbed me too much. So I was like, I was like, this is going to be like a Shining situation where it's like, <laughs> like, they're redoing it and making it more like the book. And I know as a five-year-old, Randall, you were a huge fan of 30-something. With Timothy oh, Busfield. I'm a huge <laughs> Timothy Busfield fan, not just for 30 something, but also for his work in Revenge of the Nerds mm-hmm. and First Kid. First Kid. Where yeah. he plays the, the villain. Uh, Spoiler yeah. alert. Which you know in like the first five minutes. Yes. But, uh, he in Rookie of the Year, too. A Little oh, Big yeah. League. A Little, a big, little league. big League. Little which big league. Same I'd movie. say is superior to it is superior. Uh, Rookie of the Year. More, uh, more believable. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, Trucks is such a non-entity um, <laughs> that I was looking at this io9 list of um, Stephen King adaptations where they rank them all, and they didn't even rank Trucks. <laughs> they just mentioned it in the piece on Maximum Overdrive. But the funny thing is, um, Trucks is actually streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Really? So that's like the main reason I revisited it recently, and... Um, it's bad. Like, is it's, it, it, does it stick close to the book or not? No, not really. I mean, the thing is, it's almost impossible. It's like, I mean, to make a feature length thing out of the out of the story, it's not going to happen. It's like graveyard shift. It's like there's not enough there, and um, and so, but I'd say it's closer in some ways. But they they do what Maximum Overdrive does in a way where they kind of offer this cosmic sort of reason mm. for why why they've come alive, and it's so bizarre. There's like this. Um, there's like this uh, like Hawaiian shirt wearing like mystic character. What? It's very bizarre. He's like he's like a schlub, but he's also like hippie and um and like but he's also like into aliens and that's like how they sort of describe what's going on. So he is to this what like Brad Dourif's Exterminator is to Graveyard Shift, like yes. this weird addition to the. It's very bizarre and like yeah, they really round out the cast and like like that's the th- and I think what I liked about it was. When I was a kid, I, and the thing was, I actually didn't like it, but what I liked about it as I started watching it, um, I was like, oh, I like this because it's got this big ensemble cast, like, and it felt like the story in that regard where, you know, and it was, you know, it's like Maximum Overdrive in the sense that they're they're in this diner, but um, but it actually gets out and gets more, like, in the community, I guess, and you see more of it, um, and the, but the thing is, it just, it's so repetitive, it's, it's like, um, it's it's the uh, TV guide had a review that I read. Um, it's the one this the movie is impossible to find stuff about online. <laughs> like there is nothing about it. But I found this um, just on Wikipedia. I found this uh, TV guide review of trucks, and um, basically it said uh, it was all premise. Um, wait, hold on, let me bring it up here. Trucks, here we go. Um, Sorry, my Wikipedia on my phone. Not not very reliable. Uh, TV Guide rated it two out of four stars and wrote, The film is all premise and no plot, a problem made worse by the clumsy addition of extraneous gory sequences. But here's the thing. Upon that rewatch... (laughs) Those extraneous gory sequences were the best part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I figured. It's like the main story is is really dull. I think the big addition to it is there's two like teenagers that mm-hmm. they put in it, and there's kind of like a mild love story there. And um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
sounds kind of sweet. But no, it was just like, it was really lame. And then, um, but they, it does just randomly cut away to like just some random dude getting killed, like by a truck or something with the best one. And I was actually like laughing and enjoying it um, as I was watching it. And like my wife walked in and she goes, what the fuck are you doing? Because it was literally a scene where a guy was getting, an adult man was getting killed by a remote control car. But it was kind of hilarious because it kept, I think it was like a mailman or something, but he's like, it like keeps hitting his like shins and at first it's kind of funny and he's like hey what's this thing doing but then it like knocks him over and it starts like slamming his head against the curb and like blood is squirting everywhere it's so stupid that I was like loving it I was like laughing my ass off was this originally on USA yeah I think so and so it was as much gore as they could get away with at that point but I remember like like I was delighted during that scene does uh does Busfield survive Busfield of course he survives because he is uh he is a leading man uh, but well, the thing he, is, we went on to do uh, West Wing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is he in West Wing? Yeah. Oh yeah, Danny. Oh. See, I'm a huge Tim Busfield fan, and he is such a better actor than everyone else in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's comical in a sense. It's like he has no business being in this movie because, like, the level of talent that he's at and the way that he can elevate this material just by like how naturalistic he is as an actor. And everyone else is so bad. It's like, I mean, and the story is, you know, there's not much to it. It's just like they all gather, a bunch of them get killed in very PG 13 ways. It only gets gory in the extraneous gory sequences. And uh, it's like, but all this stuff in the main story is very like PG-13 and very lame. Is there p- post-coital donut eating? In the uh, no, which oh. is a huge detriment to the movie. Yeah. But a uh, spoiler alert yeah. for the ending, uh, you ask if Tim Busfield lives. Uh, ostensibly, yes, but um, they uh, have a little bit of, uh, you know, a ambiguous ending. Mm. Actually, it's not very ambiguous. Basically, uh, these helicopters come like to save them. And uh, it's Busfield and his son, and then they run into the helicopter, and then the teenage girl is already in there because she like was with the crew that went to go get them, and it takes off, and then she's like really quiet, and she's just like not saying anything, and they're like, "What's wrong? We're safe. We're safe." And then like they turn, and then they pull back the curtain, and then nobody's flying the helicopter. That's kind of cool. Like yeah, that. and then that's yeah, how it ends. Yeah. Like it ends with the helicopter just flying off, and that's so the end. in the so. movie, well, they're then they're totally dead. Yes, so they're dead. <laughs> so in the movie, then do they? Is implying in the movie that they well at least for most of it they think that it's only automobiles that are affected by this. Yeah, thing. Okay, there's gotcha. no aircraft cool. until the very end, and that's kind of like cool. yeah. And yeah. I think that works, and so I think in that sense, um, it's it's not and it's not like a, a typical King miniseries. It aired on TV, but it wasn't like a three hour yeah. event. Thank Christ, because oh, like the thing's like ninety minutes and yeah. it's too long already. And um, so, would you say everything from the short story makes its way into the? the adaptation but they obviously had to pad it out no I feel like they don't I I could be wrong I watched it a bit ago and honestly like it was a hard thing to pay hardcore attention to but I don't remember the um I don't think there's a big gassing sequence and if there is like I don't remember it but do you rank it above Maximum Overdrive uh no because I'd say like with Maximum Overdrive though I think really it's just about the first 30 minutes of that movie there there, there is a there's a boldness to Maximum Overdrive just in the first 30 minutes and that's the thing whereas Trucks is a is a really safe movie. It's like it's it, it's like a total toss away. Everyone who is involved with it, aside from Busfield, like none of them went on to do anything else of no. It, it's very very um, forgettable. I mean, it sounds normally like you know one drives the bus, but it feels like in this the bus drives the movie. 
I'd say it's an accurate assessment. Um, any other questions about the 1997 TV movie Trucks? I, I don't have any questions to say about the film. I do think that there's a way to make this movie, and I think it's just doing a Faces of Death style thing where you just like, you know, like when Jen walked in and, and saw you seeing this guy getting rammed. Just have like multiple, just no no narrative. It's like vignettes. Just of a people vignettes getting of getting killed by these things, and then it just ends. Just yeah, like, like a directed by Stephen really King or something. You could you, you know? could just take the best part, like all those death scenes in Trucks and all the ones in Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. Like, a good 20 30 minute movie somebody yeah. hey uh constant listeners you know now you got a challenge do it yeah yeah super cool. go on amazon prime download the film yeah <laughs> it's just like you can't i don't know like maybe prove me wrong here but it's like can you make a movie where like a truck is a villain and it's compelling you'd like, have to make it you'd have to really uh, amp up like the comedy i think yeah, yeah. well i guess the truck oh duel not, not as much the truck. yeah i guess duel, right. yeah. duel i feel like does that really well enjoy your ride i like the movie joy ride yeah. well that's Joyride's great that's especially like a trucker there's someone there's a like person black driving dog. it black dog so and like there's a ooh. person i actually like joy ride a lot i think there's like a real personality uh to that movie and to that villain you know like it's just the idea of it's like it's I'd say, and like that's the thing is, Maximum Overdrive, for as bad as it is, like the, you got the Green Goblin and all that. It's like it gives it a personality. Like the trucks seem to have personalities, and that's what they don't have. In the, yeah, in the I TV think movie. if you, I think with any of these, these, you know, kind of too short to adapt into film stories. I think the, there, there can be a good movie, but you have to have some a screenwriter and a director who is just like aces at character development. I mean, yeah. you have to make these people interesting enough to. Make a, there has to be something more than just the truck elements yeah. of it, you know, because it's just too long to. And just it's like they really that. try to flesh out the characters in the TV movie, like they give them a lot of like backstory. Yeah, it's just none of it, it is very compelling, and the actors aren't very good, except for Busfield. And Busfield, as good as he is, like you know, you look at Little Big League, and he had a uh, he had a um, uh, what was that kid's name who was in that? I can't remember his name. But Luke's, he, it's Luke. Luke he holds a hat like this no, in no. that poster. Yeah. yeah, but anyways, that kid, that kid in Busfield, that was box office his magic <laughs> is he in Little Bigley I think he's in Rookie of the Year what oh no oh no no the kid from American Pie Thomas Ian Nichols that's is in, in Rookie of the Year, yeah, Rookie of the year. isn't Timothy no. Busfield no, Timothy Busfield's like... in Little Big League because no, no. he's a player for the Twins. His, the father, Gary Busey, Gary Busey is the is, is the, the player that romances yeah. the mom in yes. Rookie of the Year yes. and then the father uh, is okay. the guy from um He's like, uh, oh god damn it! I always forget it. Uh, his act, the actor's name. I feel like he was in, maybe Mr. Robot. Like, oh, you're talking about? So we're, we're going back and forth. Yeah, the guy who's romancing the mother. No, the original romance. father is. He's he not the jerk. father. He's like the boyfriend of the mother. <laughs> Holy oh, I shit! He was a jerk, Jesus Christ! Hold on. Let's all let's all take a second. <laughs> he's not Thomas E. Nicholas's father. I thought he was. No, <laughs> he's he's the boyfriend of his mother. I'm positive. I, no, but Gary Busey's the boyfriend of the mother. In no, both, he, he romances her, but she's um, seeing this jerk she who's Mr. Robot. she punches him at the end. Yes. But well, in Mr. Robot, he's like the other guy that like yeah. becomes like... In yeah. both like, movies, a baseball player romances the kid's mom. Jordan. Yeah. In one, it's Tim Busfield. In another, it's Gary Busey. Why don't we save this for the uh, Blockade Billy episode, guys? <laughs> Wait, how about uh, uh, Busey, Busfield? That's kind of a weird connection yeah, there. Yeah, two Bs. And, well, two buses. <laughs> what are the two <laughs> different right. teams? Minnesota Twins and the, and the Cubs? Show Cubs, yeah. Who would ever want to own the Minnesota Twins, though? I mean, that's that's <laughs> actually crazy. see that's kind of I mean, creepy too because we all live in Chicago. Oh, I know. Um, hey, you mentioned Ted Levine <laughs> um, in The Mangler. He he's the killer in Joyride. Is he oh, really? is, is that oh, him? Is that that's his voice. voice. I thought it was his voice, yeah. but I couldn't tell if it was like that was too on the nose. Levine. Well, what does no. he say in that in Joyride? Justin? Are you going to take you for a Joyride? <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. So I think we, I think it's safe to say that there has yet to be a good adaptation of Trucks. Yeah, um, these are rough movies. Hey, Dollar um, Baby. Whereas I'd say that um, 
I'd say that the next adaptation we're going to talk about is actually an improvement upon the story. And that would be Sometimes They Come Back. You know, as a whole, we all kind of agreed that Sometimes They Come Back is the worst short story, or the least effective short story. Yeah, it's not bad. It's just the the least least of the 20. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I will say, and I'll I'll make this argument, that this might be the best um, feature-length adaptation from Night Shift. Yeah. I think I would agree with that. And I think... um, I wasn't expecting it to be. Mm. I was, you know, because it's a movie that I've, it's like Graveyard Shift in the sense that no one talks about it anymore. Mm. It's um, it's not a movie that people seem to uh, remember fondly or revisit a lot. And, you know, and I guess when we're saying this, it's kind of like Dan defending Maximum Overdrive. It's not a great movie. Mm-hmm. And it really falls apart in the end, I think, like kind of like the story does. Um, but I think what's really effective is that... Um, what what freaks me out so much about the story is the idea of these people from the 50s who you vaguely recognize and you have a creeping suspicion of who they are, but it doesn't line up with reality. Mm-hmm. The fact that these people come and they contrast so sharply with everyone else, like in the class, um, like when these the greasers show up. And there's something really uncanny and eerie about that. And the way that they continually keep showing up um, and sort of taunting... Uh, you know, the main character. Um, and, you know, and I guess, like, if you haven't read the story, just to clarify, uh, this is the story of um, uh, a man who goes back to the town where he grew up to be a teacher. When he was a kid, his brother was uh, killed by um, a group of bullies, greasers, bad dudes. Um, bad but boys. The dif- yeah, the bad boys. But the <laughs> difference is that in the movie, uh, didn't they all die at the same That's time? That's the thing. I would yeah. say this is an example of every change that is made from the short story works. I would argue the ending, but we'll get there. I, we'll get to the end, I yeah. think well we'll get to the ending too. Again, this is by no means, you know, Shawshank Redemption yeah. or Stand by Me. <laughs> but it's still like a good early nineties. This was a CBS movie, yeah. you know, yeah. and Tom McLaughlin directed it. Yeah. Who is uh, well known for uh, doing, or best known for doing Jason Lives, right? Mm-hmm. To leave part six. There's yeah. a little bit of the humor in that. Yeah. And that's found in this film as well. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. No, I'm just gonna say in the in the book, uh, the the these greasers, the bullies, they 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 you know st- when they stab the the brother. Yeah. And he dies. Um, they actually end up dying just like by natural causes mm-hmm. or you know a car accident like later on. And then he slowly realizes that, like, the only reason some of these bullies aren't, you know, returning is because they're probably still alive. Yeah. Like, whereas in the movie, yeah, they, they're, in a tu- they're in a tunnel where there's a train, um, and uh, you, you realize that uh, they inadvertently drop the keys to the car, and, and he grabs them, the main character grabs them and runs. And so they're almost back to haunt him to kill because they feel like he's responsible for yes. their death. So it's more of a they can't yeah. start the yeah. car and then they all get like got by the by the train. It makes um, more sense and and this is a case where, you know, like in trucks and graveyard ship, they're just there's not enough story to justify the feature length. Uh, our one of our biggest critiques of the short story of Sometimes They Come Back, which runs like forty pages, is that it almost feels like it needs more. Yeah. Like it needs more time to breathe. Um because it's it feels very rushed in a lot of ways. Um and 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 ironically underdeveloped and I'd say that and I feel like they took out some of the cruelty um, like uh, his wife isn't killed yeah, well, in the movie that's good you know, yeah. his, his wife um, is, is played by the great Brooke Adams who yes. you know from Evasion of Body Snatchers mm-hmm. and um, this really really bad early 80s 
Shockwaves horror movie with Peter Cushing. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, yeah. wait, we saw that, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the major it's differences, funny. though, I mean, again, <laughs> they also add to the to, to kind of, to, not to pad it out, but to make it a full adaptation, they add the wrong man element to it. Yeah. Because as opposed to the, the story where, you know, Jim hears about the disappearing students or, you know, deceased students, in this, he's, he's always kind of seen with the students before they're about to die, whether it's just talking to a student after school, yeah. running to a student on the streets, yeah. or just having a bad relationship. So they kind of add the whole, maybe he's actually the one killing all these yeah. kids. And I really, and the key here though, is you've got like an established actor in Tim Matheson. Yeah. Who's, who's awesome. Who's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Brooke Adams, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And you've got our boy Grady from Freddy's Revenge yep. as the lead hunk, <laughs> as, yep. like the, as the main villain. Yeah. And he does a really good job. And you know who else is in it? Uh, the one because there's one living greaser in the oh, movie, yeah, William Sanderson, and William Sanderson from Deadwood plays him. Who is that dude? Is such a good weird ass actor that like he really fits into St- the Stephen King world really well as well. So, but I will say that um, uh, if we're, it's, I guess talking about the ending, the big change here is that you know they both in both of them they use sort of this satanic. Uh, it's not spell. so pronounced in this. It's, it's not like he's reading Raising Demons or yes, whatever he's yes. reading in the short story. But he does like a seance. It's more of a seance. It's more of like a movie. let's let's reenact what happened. Yeah, and they yeah, they like and he like goes to the thing. But in the movie in both of them, the brother comes back. Mm-hmm. Like the dead brother comes back and sort of uh vanquishes the bad guys. But the big difference is that in the movie, it gets very sentimental. It does. And it like allows him to have like a parting moment with his brother, and there's like a moment when like, he has to tell his brother, he's like, I'm actually your brother and I'm older now because the kid doesn't realize he's dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's affecting in that regard, but it also, it, it just verges, it just, it's, it, it, it trips teases over into, sh- it does like schlag or cheesy. It yeah, does, it just, it, it goes into that. schmaltz a little bit. Yeah. I think they do, they do a really good job though, establishing throughout the film the flashbacks though. Yeah. Like kind of, which yeah. kind of builds to that. I agree. And this is that. kind of a Frank Darabont adaptation before there were yeah. Frank Darabont adaptations because yeah. it is very, I don't want to say it's sentimental to be negative because mm-hmm. because sentimental can be good. It can be, yeah. and, and the story itself, like the short story, like I like I talked about in, in the last episode, we talked about how just grim it is, mm-hmm. but not in a fun, grim horror yeah. way. But this, you're really rooting for the characters to live. You yeah. want him to see his brother again. You want to give his brother peace. Yeah, you like. And and this he also has a son who's terrorized by yep. the, the bullies as well. Yeah, which is which is a good added thing. Yeah. And then and I guess you're right. You know, I said that I I disagreed about changing the end. I just I find the ending of the story, as opposed to all you guys, like I actually found the ending of the story pretty affecting. Not the not the whole satanic ritual so much as the fact that when he sees his brother, his brother's face changes into a demon before yeah. he disappears. Yeah, and that's creepy. Obviously, that's creepy. And that to me, kind of uh, uh, in a way hints towards Pet Cemetery's themes of, like, yeah. the dead shouldn't come back, you know? And uh, and how terrifying... it. Like, if you're trying to bring back something, it's bad. You know, that is not a good thing. And I think that that's always been a theme that King has played with, that um, other authors... Uh, like, I think he's almost, like, lampooning certain authors who are just kind of, like... They're very much about, like... I, I, they're bringing back, like, bringing back ghosts, bringing back people from the dead, bringing back, and, like, it, everything can be the way it was, you know? Yeah. And, like, I, that's why I feel like in the movie, even though I think it makes sense for the film adaptation, for him to have that sentimental moment, it almost doesn't feel like King, you know? No, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. it, it, it doesn't. I mean, again, so, wait, what, what exactly happens then in the end? Like, what's the big change? He The well, big they, change is, well, his brother comes back, and his brother's still, like, 
a 12 year old which by the way it's the son from the HBO show Dream On Oh my god, yeah. I, that is a deep, yeah. deep. How about cut. that? How about that? So Brian Binden's son or whatever. Well, Brian um, so he comes back and he and he, he he takes part in the, you know, I forget exactly. They they pretty much reenact what happened in the in the fifties. Yeah. And so this this train comes back and once again mm-hmm. this destroys the, the bad guys. And so um Tim Atheson is able to say goodbye. I guess his brother had been had maybe in a type of purgatory then. Yeah, I feel like there might right. have been which is kind of like dark, that. I guess. So yeah. he's able to say goodbye to him and he's have closure. You yeah, know? he's basically just like putting his his brother's soul at peace. Yeah, and at rest. And whereas in the story, he kind of, the, the 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 brother's there, but he kind of morphs into like a demon, and he is you know he is his soul's lost. Yeah. You know, like he, um, which is strange because he's murdered. So, do you think he'd be in heaven? <laughs> yeah. But, um, and maybe he is in heaven and he's fine, but this demon, now that he's done this black magic, this demon's there and he's kind of like, well, now, you know, you're, you, you know I'm going to haunt your dreams or something. <laughs> but again, like, so I feel in, in this instance that the uh, the ending is is earned, at least from the perspective yeah. of where it was building from the beginning. Of from the, the this storytelling, the storytelling of the film, it's the it's the ending that makes the most sense and that yeah. it, it works. And, it, and I feel like it, that story, based on how icky you feel at the end, of the the short story with his wife dying and everything there you know that's not that story didn't sit well with me it doesn't sit in my my belly well whereas like the film i you know you're right i wanted him i wanted him to be able to like overcome his past and overcome those demons and say goodbye to his brother and bury that so he could have like you know he could have like a a fulfilling life again and the key here as opposed to the abc adaptations which would be you know two-parters three-parters four-parters this is just a two-hour yeah, movie, 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 yeah. and what? I think that's that was the best way to go about it. Have you guys seen the sequels at all? It's kind no, of I because I know the it. sequel. I know the sequel has the first sequel. Sometimes they come back again. Michael. Oh, sometimes they come back for, for more. more. Oh my god! Um, but the sequel, I know Michael Gross is in it. The late Alexis Arquette is in it. Yeah. Um, oh. But it, it follows a similar thing. A, a person comes back to their hometown, and mm-hmm. the, but, you know. But then the third, a, the third one though. It's like an Arctic base or something. As, yeah. On the third one, I just saw the poster yeah. is, is a bunch of ice, like in Antarctica, and like a red monster hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I have not seen it, so well, I don't I, know. I think this is one thing that we are going to discuss more as this episode goes on about how the 90s era of King and in, in just like how they're able to warp his story. Oh, yeah, like, totally. Not his legacy, but his source material. Lawnmower Man. To just and- totally, you know. Cash grabs, yeah, yeah just, cash grabs. They just rape the stories, and they, they yeah. just grab the name, and then they forget about yeah. trying to do anything that has anything to do with the story. Yeah. So I will say the uh, there is one huge misstep, and sometimes they come back that, but it's so funny that I'm okay with it. Uh, we all remember Chip. Uh, bad boy jock oh, uh, yeah. Chip. the and jocks are great in this they're yeah. like your prototypical high five yeah. varsity and, jacket and the, yeah they all wear varsity God. jackets up. and like that's fun but then like we because in the movie in the book uh, Chip just disappears yeah. like they, his dad is nowhere is he just ran away here you actually see Chip like partying with the oh, greasers I know you're going <laughs> yeah and then um, they're all in the car together and then basically uh, I think Chip like I can't remember what he says but he, he pisses them off or it's like his time to die or whatever so they all kill him but then it when they're killed him, it just cuts to they're on a bridge and it cuts to outside the car and the windows roll down and they just start throwing his body, body parts out of the window. I was so goopy. And it looked 
looks like that. That is straight from like McLaughlin's Jason Lives playbook, you know? Like just the goofy, like, what the hell? It made me like arms and legs. It literally looks like stuff you would buy at like one of those pop-up Halloween stores. Like that's how silly it like they throw his head out. Like it's so funny. funny But the makeup uh, for them is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say is that even though that is fucking ridiculous, (laughs) I love that scene. But um, what they decide to do is you know, they all look normal, but um, they decide to show him their true face which is basically like how they ended up after the crash and I thought that that was pretty effective yeah, when yeah. they start showing like just how mangled they are and, and the, um, oh, man, the mangled, oh, the mangled. <laughs> um, a, a couple little tidbits here too some things I noticed that people probably say wow you've watched too many movies uh, the retired cop that Jim goes to in this I, I really recognize him I thought at first it was the um uh, the, the pharmacy uh, owner from it yeah in the, the adaptation but it's not it's um, an actor from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. All right. Oh, that's right. He had not aged in 25 years. Is that Ebert's movie? Um, Roger Ebert. Yeah. Who, yeah. And Russ Meyer did that. How does that's correct. Um, and there's a couple funny bits. He, um, his son is a toy train that has the numbers 999 on them. Ah. So obviously it's just like it's the old switching around 666. The old switcheroo. There's also <laughs> a moment where Jim's wife is all alone and she hears a rumbling outside. So she picks up a knife and then she does a take. And she puts it back, she picks up a larger knife. There's <laughs> like a funny yeah, comedic yeah, yeah. touch there. Yeah, that's right. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, this wasn't just like a gun for hire. I felt like he really, yeah. McLaughlin put his stamp on the, on yeah. the movie. Would you call him an auteur? Um, I, I reserve that for people like Sam Esmond. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Hey, that, auteur genius from Mr. Robot. On that note, we're going to go from feature length back to uh, short again uh, with... Um, the adaptation of The Ledge from 1985's Cat's Eye. Anthology. Which was a, the anthology film directed by Louis Teague, who also directed uh, Cujo. And this is another Dino De Laurentiis production. Dino, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Dino loved King. And, he, uh, he like, it, 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 reading this book, and the best part of it is that King was just like, you could tell he didn't like it, but he was like, all right, Dino, like, fine. Like, he just, like, let him, he just let him keep doing it. We bought another one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about another Cat's Eye, uh, at another adaptation that's in Cat's Eye a little later on. But, uh, so this is, this is the second story in Cat's Eye. There are three tales loosely connected by a cat running around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Drew much. Barrymore being. And, and Drew Barrymore playing three different roles. But we'll talk about that later, too. Uh, so we, we got The Ledge here starring the great Robert Hayes. From airplane. airplane fame, and he's the role of the tennis instructor. Mm-hmm. It also features um, playing the villain, playing the mobster in this is the same actor who plays uh, Sheriff Gillespie or Gillespie in the Salem's Lot adaptation. Ah. Toby, good old Toby Hooper, um, who also directed the Great Mangler, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed this. It's a half an hour long. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really good. They padded it out a little bit more. There's a little more humor in this one. Obviously, mm-hmm. you don't feel. The time, like you feel the time in the ad, in the short story itself, because yeah. a short story, you know, he would close his eyes and like twenty minutes would have passed. Yeah, it feels like it kind of goes along a lot quicker. And even though there might be some questionable matte painting or you know blue screen, you still feel the terror of him being on the ledge and yeah. and and whatnot. So I don't know. There were some minor changes too, but what do you think about it? Man? No, I, I think that uh, it's a really good adaptation and. Um, you definitely still feel horrified about him going around this ledge, and once again, um, I think I think the guy that has him going out there, the the mobster, uh, I think he pulls some more pranks on him than he does in the books. Doesn't he shoot right? at him at one point? Am I making? Well, that he's up? got an air horn. He's got the fire hose in this. That he kind of sprays at him yeah. in this direction. Yeah, maybe not a gun then. Yeah, but. Um, 
But uh, he has yeah. a drone that he's uh, flying. No, no drone. <laughs> That'd be like the new modern one. You but know? I feel like we do. They do kind of cut to him a little bit more, like yeah. running around, like looking at him in video cameras yeah. and stuff. And they don't do that in the book. It's just you're just with him once he gets. Well, out the of short the story. Yeah, the short story. You were with our hero the entire time as he goes around the ledge. You hear uh, Kressner, that's the name of the villain, and, and yelling down. But in this, you definitely cut back and forth like, hey, get this ready, get this ready. Yeah. Also, too, so I, I, I also agree. I think it's a really solid adaptation of the ledge. I mean, I, I could, I, and given the circumstances and the time period, I couldn't ask for anything more. There are some differences. I mean, it feels very 80s, oh, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Definitely um, and it, it, it is funny because Kressner in this, I think he's not quite as unnerving as he is in the book because in the book, he's more... Um, like bookish almost it's almost like this accountant yeah. who's got oh, this all this power this is very slovenly like you know, walking yeah. around like a robot I imagine yeah. him as like Orson Welles yes yeah. that's a very good that you know. is what he was taking on but see, yeah. but see, but like I, a touch of evil Orson yes, Welles like exactly. but the way, the way they describe it oh yeah touch of evil Orson yeah. Welles I, I was picturing like, well like Susan King <laughs> no 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 not that no but yeah he, yeah, I picture him because in, in, in the book they talk about how he's in this kimono but he has these glasses he's almost, he's almost like um, almost like Dylan Baker in Road to Perdition like this yeah. kind of you know and in this, they go they go way f- way more for the traditional business mogul kind of guy. Yes. but I think it works. I think that works. No, it does. For, like, that's the, a, he's a great actor. I, I the, the actor's name is escaped yeah. me, but he's also Kressner, it's uh, McMillan. Um, what's his name? But uh, he's also in Dune. He plays the Baron. Yeah, in Dune. Yeah. He's just a really good character actor. Good villain, yeah. you know. And and Kenneth I, McMillan. There he is, Kenneth McMillan. And I think that it really ties nicely to. The, the, it, given the aesthetic of this, like it's a more like gaudy, high rise, like very eighties kind of yeah. thing. I think that yeah. totally makes sense, and yeah, it's really solid. Something that I think you brought up when we were talking about uh, just the stories last time was that you kept picturing James Woods while you were reading the ledge, and I agree. Like it's funny, James Woods is in Quitters Inc. Obviously, mm. but yeah. I think those those characters have a similar feel to them yeah. for some reason, and oh, yeah. and. and uh, I, I really like Robert Hayes from Airplane, but I, I, I a part of me wanted someone a little bit slimier, maybe. Oh, like, yeah. Because yeah. the thing is, you forget, like, the, yeah. the protagonist is a questionable character to begin with, yeah. whose motives aren't necessarily clear but in, the, in the story. But the adaptation, he's just kind of like this... He's in love yeah. with this woman, and they're gonna they're gonna run away together. He's like he's definitely the good guy. They establish him as the good guy with very little flaw. In the story, he's like in the movie adaptation. But in the story, yeah, because the story is kind of like, well, my career's almost over. I don't really know what I'm gonna do. He's with a my former life. thief. Yeah. yeah. Were you gonna say, Mike? Well, yeah, because I I like I still think he's kind of I think I still think he's a good guy in the book though because he's, well, no, he's he definitely does, a good guy. I don't think he does he's a bad love guy. guy. He yeah, like, I, I think he's like her. I don't think he's the perfect hero that he's no he's not to be no. in, the, in, the, in the film. No, I actually um it wasn't Woods. Although I in hindsight I do think James Woods would be great. I, James Kahn is the one I was oh, thinking of. Oh, right. um, Jimmy Kahn. Because, because of the James Kahn, element, yeah. because yeah. he'd been in jail before and I just imagined him in like, you know, the jacket from like Thief just walking in being like, you know, what are we doing here? Um, I could see him doing that. Yeah. Another, uh, another big difference though in the, in the adaptation is in the story you find, you find out from Kressner, it's Kressner, right? I think yeah, it's yeah, Kressner. That, his wife was killed. Yeah. But in the movie, you it's see. very... Like, he's like, I promised you money, I promised you this, and of course my wife, and he just kicks this bag and her head rolls out. Yeah. And it's such a fun, like, gross 80s horror moment that it works for me better than in the uh, the short story revelation. And it, and it totally does. In a way... It and may- Robert Hayes' face is like, just... It's a good, it's good acting. In, in a way, it makes it... Uh, you know, because the ending of the story is a little bit, no, a little bit, it's a lot sad with the the wife dying. Yeah. But I think, I think, and the head doesn't look great. It looks like kind of like a man. It's, like, it's like it's like a wig it, rolling down. It, it takes, it does nicely. It's like Nadine falling it, out of the window. Yeah, <laughs> no, oh. 
it like does temper that a little bit. Like you don't feel quite as depressed. And also, they actually show Cressner falling in this too. And there's a little fun part there because earlier on, he's he keeps honking this air horn like uh, Vic Berger style at um, <laughs> yeah. at uh, Robert Hayes' character, and then it falls, and you see it fall, and you know how fall that drop yeah. is. You hear it honk at the bottom, and so then once Cressner <laughs> falls, you hear him falling, and you see the cat watching him fall, and it ends with him landing on the horn. And you hear and like, like <laughs> And I, I was like, that's another difference between the, the book and the, whereas yeah. in, the, in the film version, we see, actually see him fall due yeah. to the, uh, what was it? The, uh, the pigeon. The pigeon, right? Yeah. And then the book, um, it just ends it's with, uh, yeah, yeah, He's like, yeah the, our, did our I hero hear is sitting there thinking, yeah, did I? Or like, well, it doesn't matter because if he does come around, I'm going to shoot him and kill him anyways, you know? So it's And this harkens back to the question because, again, this works really well as a 30-minute short in an anthology film. And why don't we have more anthology films like this? I don't understand. You could you could do so much with it, these yeah. horror I think, stories. I, I honestly think that's going to change soon. Because yeah. now that There's we're actually... There's been a lot recently. Yeah. The, like, like XX, for example. Yeah, VHS. VHS. Yeah, but I, I mean, strictly like King. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're going to see more. Shift, uh, series, uh, t- uh, Netflix, you know... Well, maybe that's what the Castle Rock is. It could be what Castle like, Rock yeah, is. Yeah, I think maybe. Netflix is going to double down with that type of stuff soon because it's such it, the rewatchability of it is great. And I think Netflix is kind of... I mean, it's funny because we're so used now to these Netflix series and these Amazon series and all that. We used to remember that it's still kind of a new thing, you know, the whole idea of a streaming series. And I think they, and in the early ones, we were talking about Lilyhammer. I was just going to bring it up. I mean, we're not that far away from Lilyhammer. Lilyhammer only came out a while ago, and that, you know, was Netflix, one of their first original series, and it, it didn't. It did okay, but you weren't, you weren't hearing right. <laughs> you weren't hearing a lot about a lot of uh, well, Matt, acclaim, and I and I think Matt Weiner from Mad Men, his new series is uh, Amazon. It's an anthology series. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. And so I think what ha- what's happening now, you know, we have we and there are still crappy Netflix series that come out, but you know, you you had your Orange is the New Black. Um, you have like uh, well, second season not great, but Bloodline. You know, you they've had enough yeah. like home runs at this point I think they're really figuring out now how to like really use that to yeah. their advantage I wouldn't be surprised if we see more Stephen King stuff oh, I, I guarantee well, especially you for Stranger Things yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and 11 no, yeah. on Hulu yeah. too you know yeah. and, and anthology wise just seeing things like you know like Black Mirror where it's like, yeah. a different mm-hmm. story every episode Black coming about Mirror. or you know Tales from the Crypts Mirror. coming back uh, I think there's like a want for these and I think it's because again with like attention span and people are like I can't invest in seven seasons of a show but when you're going from episode to episode, mm-hmm. it's, it's completely easy. different every time. It's and easy. You can step away from it for a long time and come back and watch the next episode. And we talk about this so much. Like, it's so hard to sustain horror, mm-hmm. for, especially in a film, mm-hmm. like for an hour and a half, two hours. That's why those, like the Halloweens of the world, are so incredible because they're able to maintain and, and sustain the yeah. suspense. So, you know, if you give yourself, like in these, there are three stories. The movie's about 90 minutes long, so you got half an hour. It's not that hard to, you know, really ramp, ramp up the tension knowing that you don't have to worry about you know the balloon being let out and having an anticlimax or yeah. four or five minutes of exposition you know and I think just too, get down to it and I think it really works here and that's why I'm, I really would like to see not just more King adaptations because hey you know what we all love Stephen King yeah yeah but Take it see, get him in these short bursts. We're so these, effective, and you don't need these like button endings too. Like, like I would say, like what, like you know, fifteen of the twenty stories always end on kind of like a well. I hope someone comes back. Yeah, like or, an ambiguous, yeah, yeah note, an ambiguous yeah. ending, and I, I like that. And and I think that you can do that with a short adaptation, a film mm-hmm. adaptation as well, and still have it work. Yeah, if if you don't have to. You know, we would spend two hours on this, so we need a button ending. You know what I mean? Even like, if you think about. Um, Think about all the stories in Night Shift. Now, yeah, some of them require would require some money behind them, like Jerusalem's Lot, or they did they did like a trucks that was actually good. <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, you think of things like 
like the ledge and quitters inc and last rung on the ladder and the woman in the room and even the boogeyman th- these aren't stories that would need a ton of money put into them mm-hmm. you know i mean you you there a lot of them are one setting a few actors um i feel like you could get some some good names in it and uh just get like a solid director like yeah. I, I think i think it makes sense like economically and also just yeah, what the public wants storytelling wise. So I, I would love to see a Netflix uh, Night Shift adaptation. Fun uh, bit of trivia: Cressner uh, flips through a magazine on the coffee table, and it is uh, the July nineteen seventy six issue of Penthouse, which is which what? is when this story was published. That's oh, cool. that's kind of cool. Oh, I like that. Really cool. And they're in a penthouse. There are a lot of nods to the King throughout Cat's Eye. We'll talk about oh, that yeah. a little bit more yeah. later on. Um, so I think on that note, let's let's uh, pivot to. This was a very faithful adaptation for the most part that was very successful. Let's move on to one that's a little bit stranger in terms of adaptation. Uh, and that's 1992's Jeff Fahey starring the Lawnmower Man. I'm all right. a huge Jeff Fahey fan. I, I love Fahey. Love Fahey. Um, Psycho 3 Lost. Lo- he's great in Justified. Lost. One of my favorite characters in Lost. Um, this film, it's so funny. That it's 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 iconic for being related to Stephen King when it has it's the the furthest adaptation you could possibly oh, yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's when you sit back and think about the process of this film and like just it's the storyline. It is so batch like I say batch crazy all the time. This is legitimately batch yeah. crazy when you really think of how far away from the source material it is. Yeah. Now, so, yeah, could you walk through the yeah of yeah? All right, so basically ludicrous. the original the, the, you know. Everyone knows now at this point that the Lawnmower Man is it's associated with virtual reality, and there's a reason for that because the original script was actually called Cyber God, you know, and the director Brett Leonard, Brett Brett Leonard, eighties tech, it is. Well, I mean, it it was early nineties, so it makes sense that they were trying to get something going with like some sort of cyber thing. And here, like, what's crazy is that so director Brett Leonard and producer Gimmel Everett, they had a screenplay. That, 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 that was called Cyber God, and it really had, it had nothing to do with Lawnmower Man, not whatsoever, nothing. But lo, like New Line Cinema had the rights to this, this story, which, by the way, why anybody <laughs> would buy rights to this story is just beyond well, because me. Because Dina was but, buying up everything. <laughs> there could be, and then they were probably like, left. oh, we got to get it. Like, what, yeah, yeah, what do you got left from, the, from Night Shift? Uh, we got the Lawnmower Man well, and uh, Grey Matter. Going back to our ongoing, um, yeah. our own adaptation of what's going on with King and uh, Dino, yeah. you can see, like, you know, they're out, like, I just imagine there's, like, a great Hollywood uh, patio, and there's, like, bowls of cocaine everywhere, and, <laughs> and like, people are, like, you know, hanging out in, like, those cool, like, uh, cut sleeve shirts, or all, like, you know, all hanging out by the, 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 the sofa and, and King walks in he's just like all sweaty and everything and Dino's sitting there with like a cigarette like a, a cigar. uh, like, uh, like a cigar or something but he's like looking out in his like palatial state it's very Scarface right? yeah. and, and King's like well, Dino you're buying up everything like, like are you gonna let anything else anybody like you gotta let other visionaries adapt my work and he's like don't worry Stephen I've left I've left the lawnmower man I've left you know um, you know, Cowan's other books, but the Lawnmower Man's on there. And should King's we, like, should we explain the difference between the two, the story and the movie, oh just boy. for people? Yeah. So anyway, if you remember, if you recall in the Night Shift story, um, you know, <laughs> it's actually about um, you know uh, the, the the plot of the the short story is basically that there's a guy named Harold Parkett who hires Pastoral Greenery and Outdoor Services Incorporated. That's the, the yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. They, they hire this company to, to cut his lawn. 
And the serviceman who arrives to do the job, he's got a lawnmower and he mows the lawn, but you know, then he takes off all his clothes and starts worshiping Pan and um, eventually kills the guy. Yeah. Um, and and you think that that's a weird short story. It's it's totally insane and it's pretty unadaptable. Um, so then you actually look at the movie, which is about a lawnmower man that's been taken in by Pierce Brosnan, who he's like mentally challenged, a mentally challenged lawnmower man who becomes part of basically becomes what the title of the original script was, a cyber guy. It's, yeah. it's it like, becomes um, this pow- all-encompassing, powerful VR like. It's like a flowers for Algernon kind yeah, of thing. It's like it a, they they start experimenting on him and um, with these. VR simulations and drugs or whatever, and he be- yeah he becomes this, and he rebels against his and, masters. Yeah, like and and it basically becomes like this easy way to do bullshit special effects spectacle in the '90s and talk about tech when Hollywood had no grasp on what tech really was at the time. So it's just like, oh, virtual reality, let's do yeah. it. Like, look at my hands, out. look at my crazy <laughs> hands. So you know, we have now we have Lawnmower Man, the Stephen King story that was originally about this pan worshipping psychopath that is now about a video game like, that basically has become a Super Nintendo game. Like, that's what most people remember this from, because it was a very cutting-edge video game that came out for Super Nintendo and, like, a, a couple other ports and whatnot. Um, and even spawned a sequel, uh, Joe's War. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Which, which we're not going to go into with that one, but when you actually look at Job's War and you realize that, like, this all ties back to just, a short story yeah. about, like, the pan-worshipping lawnmower man, it's, it's like your head starts hurting. Like, how, <laughs> how the hell did this actually happen? Yeah, and I, I, I never thought I would do this, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to protect the lawnmower man Whoa. here. When you think about it, the whole first story is about, you know, this guy who worships the great, kind of like the great, is, is the great god Pan, kind of, this whole, like, naturalistic, uh, yeah. you know, um, very in touch with the earth, and is mm-hmm. literally has, like, attributes of the earth, like his, you know, I think his pubic hair is green, and, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, green stuff pubes. like that. Yeah, but, but um, and, 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 and worshiping that kind of thing, and then you have, you know, in the, what was it, the 90s, early 90s? When yeah, 92, yeah. Um, everything's moving into technology and into the future and like so you have this like you know the god of the earth and you have this god of like the internet you know like this whole thing and i think that's probably what they were thinking no (laughs) yeah no here's the only reference (laughs) (laughs) mac you were like making really really good points and at the end when you're like i'm sure they're really going to sincere like what is the long like well if you spend as much time as we have thinking about this you could probably come to that conclusion the only reference to the actual short story is a scene where job kills peter's father with this lawnmower man named big red um, in the aftermath, like the the police come over and they mention that there, you know, there was some of his blood before he's in the bird bath or whatever. Um, and then there's also the pastoral greenery. So those little token <laughs> references to the short story were enough that you know, actually they weren't enough Cause Stephen because King Stephen King them. sued them and said, "Look, get your name," because it was originally called Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. Yeah. And he was like, "Look, I've gone through the '80s. Yeah, if you guys have taken my work and tarnished it, this is." Too much, yeah. Like, and it this took is, a while. This is, I mean, even the even the, the lesser adaptations are still pretty faithful adaptations. Yeah. But this is. Well, no, it else is that this is ripping. Him and off. I think I think yeah. he actually I think he might get like a gross percentage or something. Well, what I have here is uh, like he demanded they take his name off it and everything, and they refused. So he sued him, and uh, the studio was ordered to pay ten thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot, but then it says inflation and full profits. Wow. So he everything they make is, you know what well, and I will I will say, going back to Mac's point, oh. and I, I know you're I know you were joking, like 
And and yeah, do I think that was a conscious choice? No. But I do think that is interesting how the original story is mu- is so much about being in touch with the earth and about nature, yeah, nature, yeah. and then it becomes about the opposite of that. And this, it's funny because I feel like they could have avoided getting sued by Stephen King if they had fit more elements in there. I'm not yeah. saying it would have made it a good movie, but they could have done like Job could have been more like that lawnmower man. He could have even had the. Sort of uh, green pubes. The, well, well, just well, like sort of the debate with like the the guy who owns the house. Like you, you could have that whole conversation. Then you go into the cyber territory, or even like Job's cyber god appearance could have been more like the great god Pan exactly. Or you know, yeah. like with hooves and yeah. you know yeah. done that, but they clearly didn't. Maybe no. they didn't have the technology they, to do CG uh, hooves. No, they <laughs> made him look like they made him look like a cross between like one of the villains and Killer Instinct, the video game. Yeah, and then also the weird like. <laughs> Um, film strip guy that used to appear in uh, AMC uh, bumpers. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who surfed on the yeah. Film reels. So yeah, yeah. Like, I, all right. So um, <laughs> I want to blow your mind again um, with this because you know, constant listeners. This is if you have never actually heard the the, the lawnmower man uh, like lore, you're obviously <laughs> sitting there going like, "What is going on?" Like, I can't believe this happened. Um, I bet you when you were reading. The Lawnmower Man. You never in a million years thought of movies like Moneyball, Captain Phillips, um, The Social Network, Magnolia, and American History X. Oh, but there is a connection there. And it's not as long as The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, the <laughs> 1987 adaptation of The Lawnmower Man, which is a short film that runs about 12 minutes. And it's not, I don't know if it's exactly a Dollar Baby short, but I think it's just a, it's just a, short, film. It's just a yeah. short film that they did. Now, the, that was filmed by James Gonis, mm-hmm. and he just has a, spe- a couple of special things here and there. But it was written uh, by Michael DeLuca. Oh, yeah. And he's the super producer in Hollywood who's responsible for, uh, you know, all the films I just, annou- uh, you know, just announced before. But he also wrote, uh, and this is a film that we touched upon earlier, Freddy's Dead. Uh, mm-hmm. He did with uh, the Freddy's Nightmares. Uh, he did also, um, he wrote the In the Mouth of Madness. Um, and he did the story for uh, our favorite um, Sylvester Stallone movie, um, Judge Dredd. So um, <laughs> this is actually, you know, it's a very, again, like we said, it's a very hard story to adapt. I don't think that it's, it really is something for film. Mm-hmm. I don't really even think it was something for literature. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't exist. It's a stupid story. And this is why it was like one of our lower yeah. ones. But it is kind of interesting how they are at, were able to pull it off with this like small well, short story. Well, how, how do you guys think uh, divorce the Stephen King adaptation element from the Lawnmower Man? How is it as a movie? Because it does it, we make fun of it. It does get some credit for like pioneering some some uh, CGI special effects and things like that. Um, yeah, the special effects obviously looking back are dated, but at the time it was They're great. It was great. Yeah. I will say the ending is pretty effective. What happens in it? Uh, at some point in the film, um, the, our, our good friend, the lawnmower man, Jeff Fahey's character, what's, what's his name again? Right. Joe. 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 Oh, it's Joe's War. <laughs> Who was replaced by Stephen King regular Matt Frewer. Matt Frewer yeah. in the sequel. Um, Love Matt Frewer. Called, Love called Frewer. Beyond Cyberspace here, but releases uh, Joe's, Joe's War. Which I actually saw in theaters um, having not but seen the first at, one. At some point, of course, <laughs> at some point he says, you'll know I, I made it to the next level of existence if you, it, like, all, all the phones will ring at the same time. Oh, yeah. And so the movie ends, you think it's over, and then Pierce Brosnan's leaving his basement, and he hears the phone ring, and he hears another phone ring, and they cut to, like, kind of around the world. Yeah. And, like, England, and you hear, like, like the different phones ringing, and it ends. That's kind of neat. And it was kind of, and there's, like, no, like, big music going on. It's just phones ringing. Phones that's ringing, cool. Phone. I yeah. thought, well, that's pretty effective. Yeah. But, of course, you have to remember the rest of the movie is just 
him being hooked up to this virtual yeah. reality and you know there's virtual reality yeah. sex I, 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 well, I was right could. about to say like when I, I was a kid when this came out and I remember being in the trailer I think they hinted at virtual reality sex but it's just the two like liquid yeah. figures but like, I, I remember yeah. being like ooh like titillated like oh my god and the the other thing too is uh actually audio tree uh some of the guys that worked there just threw the lawnmower man on i had i watched the beginning of it and we love jeff he is an actor and maybe this is more in how he's being directed but he's doing a little bit of like simple jack and like kind of thing with with how he's portraying mentally challenged man it's very just like he's don't hurt me you know it's it's very I didn't like to say I don't blame him. It was another 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 era and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think as a, as a sci fi movie like it's kind of like a B level. You know, it's not horrible. No, I mean, but at, it's, yeah. based on the actual two films that we've discussed here, which was the the you know the twelve minute short, yeah, and which we kind of glance over, but and then we also have this you know the big budget one. Mm. Yeah, I would much rather watch the yeah. big budget Pierce Brosnan film um, because, as the short proves, that like this this shouldn't it's not a story. The, and like, the short you know, the it's, short's interesting because I mean it was so low budget. If if it wasn't made when they're in film school, it was right afterwards. They even yeah. have no joke. The credits are like hand drawn yeah. on a, on like a which we can it's cute. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like this low quality thing. And I gotta say, I mean it is to a T exactly like the yeah. story. It's filmed in Southern California, so it doesn't look it doesn't have that mean look about it. But it's got the greenery about it. It's got the it. greenery. Yeah. They they totally the dude is naked. They they do the gross like green juice dribbling down him. They even do it, it's it's not great. It's very stilted in that but they even do the hooves and it's hilarious how they do them because obviously it's like a that would budget. that would that would cost some money to show this guy with like actual goat feet. And so mm-hmm. He starts like coming towards the guy, and they play like a dong 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 music, and yeah. then then they they don't even zoom down; they just show a shot, and it's clearly like you know in Guar, you know the band Guar, how yeah. like the one of them has like hooves, yeah. and it's it doesn't even look that good; like it's <laughs> it's clearly just almost like garbage bags wrapped around cardboard, and you you don't even see, you just see the hooves going dong yeah. dong, and it doesn't it doesn't really make much sense because it doesn't really convey that the guy is like the great god Pan, but. They at least the dialogue is straight from the book, and mm-hmm. they do the lawnmower coming into the house to like kill the guy in the end is actually kind of creepy, and so yeah. it's not an amazing. It's not an amazing like dollar baby or whatever, but it really is true the source material, and like you said, the source material not exactly an amazing. It's amazing story. for the fact that they were able to adapt it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where can you find that? You can find YouTube. it on YouTube. We're yeah, going to be posting okay. them all throughout the you know the week when, when yeah. We, and um, wait, wait, there is one. There were three video games made out of the Lawnmower Man. Yeah, like I, I think that's so crazy. It's, it just given the story. I mean, we don't have an adaptation of like a, from a Buick Eight. I know. Like, that I, 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 I just remember playing the game and it would freeze frame on like like Joe like pushing the lawnmower. But it looked like he was like kind of swinging it or whatever, <laughs> and I just remember being like, "Like, what is the point of this story? It's just a weird story." Like, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't. And like, there was an in canon sequel that was a yeah. game, yeah, an M- FMV game. But there was also the one that was based on it for the SNES. But there was a PC <laughs> game that was literally a direct sequel, and then um, a sequel to that that was um, I can't remember what that was on, but it was a not an FMV. Was it called The Lawnmower Man Beyond Relevance? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there is. I will. Say there is one very successful, in my opinion, adaptation of the Lawnmower Man that's very effective, and it's a comic adaptation. Uh-huh. It's really good. It's kind. Of, it's hard. I've never seen it like the full thing in person. But you can find like stills of it online. It was done in the eighties, I think, as part of like a a weird tales or amazing tales thing. Um, Bernie Wrightson didn't do the art, but it has that kind of very um, 
kind of rough but also very detailed uh, yeah. artwork, like old, like old school EC Comics horror artwork about it. Mm. And I think as a comic story, as a short little weird comic story where That's they good. can they can visually do all that yeah. stuff, it actually is kind of cool. So you said yeah. this is based on the short story, the not short based story, on the, yeah. The film. Okay. And so and they, uh, I I can't remember who it may have been Vertigo or Boom, one of the co- the big. Independent, Dark Horse. Yeah. No, I think it was Dark Horse, actually. They did a re-release of it a few years ago. It's like a collector's item, so it's hard to find, but it's it's good. I mean, I, th- I think it's I think it's like the perfect medium for a Lawnmower Man yeah, adaptation, given how just bizarre the short story is. Because it's totally yeah. something you would see in, like, um, House of... Uh, um, uh, what is it? The, the Swamp Thing guys. House of... The, anth- the anthology House of Mystery. Oh, and, like, yeah. House of, yeah, yeah, it's like totally something you would see in something yeah. like that. Do you that, think Swamp so. Thing had green pubes? Well, well, yeah. I mean, he's um, at least green moss. Well, he, well he's an he's an elemental in the way that Swamp Thing mates is actually not with the traditional penis. So yeah. you fucking dork. I'm sorry. Uh, well, as we um, mentioned in uh, you know a few weeks back, they are actually trying to uh, reboot the uh, series uh, for Lawnmower Man, but they're still just going adapting the Cyber God script. <laughs> so they should just use the original title again. But the yeah. problem is that it's so ingrained in pop culture now. You know, even if you're you're gonna talk about the lawnmower man like a you know an actual lawnmower service. I'm sure somewhere deep down in your head you're thinking, oh, the virtual reality, like vir- virtual reality game, like like virtual more, reality tied more to people lawnmower know, man. More, like, more people know it for that than for yeah. the Stephen King connection. You know, yeah, it's well, just... um, let's go back to Cat's Eye for the next film, uh, which is uh, the adaptation of Quitters Inc., starring our favorite. Jimmy Woods. Jimmy Woods. <laughs> right Jim right off the bat, really. I think we, we can all agree about a few things here. One, James Woods' politics are awful. Yes. <laughs> but two, I mean, you want to talk about, like, era-defining actors? Oh, yeah. Like, when you think of the 80s, you think of Reaganomics. Yeah. You think of, <laughs> of, of Gorbachev. And you think of James Woods. I agree yeah. with that. He's yeah. an iconic 80s actor. I still love him today. He's a great Stephen he's King actor. Ter- he's a, he embodies... Yes, he does. He is, like, the perfect... Um, Amount of smarm mm-hmm. that's needed yeah. for this role. This, this, I've got it all. I can handle like, anything. I don't take anything seriously. And he, he handles. See, he's great as as the lead in this. Yeah, um, I mean, he's he no great. Caleb Mandrake in this, but I think that um, <laughs> Harvey Mandrake. Harvey Mandrake. He's no Harvey Mandrake. Uh, his character in Any Given Sunday, which is just genius, and also his role in a. Uh, <laughs> And vampires, he's great also. I love but, him in the leather jacket um, and vampires. Love him, love, 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 love um, jacket if you want to look for the greatest gif that's on the internet, it's, it's of <laughs> just James, type in Woods, James Woods. Just James Woods, yeah, I think it's all you need. It's of him walking out of a building, vampires, and his jacket and sunglasses, <laughs> and an explosion behind him, and he kind of reacts to it. It's like they repeating. couldn't get Peter Weller uh, to do this, so they're like, James! Like, James <laughs> oh, I love Peter Weller. Yeah, that would have been good too, but that's okay. So but what anyway, do you think about Quitters Inc. here? I, I, another... It's half great. hour, yep. it works really good. It, it's the lead half hour story. Power. Half hour of power. <laughs> it's the James Woods power half hour. Uh, it's half an hour, and um, it's again very, very faithful. It's a very tight to the story, story, just as yeah. tight as the other. You know, as the story that's actually in the pages. Yeah, so. yeah and, and I actually think that the the film adaptation once again uh, is, does a better job than the story actually. Because mm. there's that portion of the story where you know his wife. Is talking to him, and he's like, after she gets shocked, uh, almost yeah. like, yeah, which is, I mean, she, she does get shocked, and she he tells her why it's happening, and she's like, oh well, I'm so happy for you, I'm so happy that oh, like, yeah, the, no. it's so fucking unrealistic, and so at least in this, uh, is that they don't yeah. really do that. You I, see it on I, camera, you, but you, you don't hear it. You don't hear it, so it yeah. kind of works a little bit better, and then. Um, I, I think it's just jarring to see them do these things to, mm-hmm. to him, and and 
and watching uh, you know Mr. Woods get uh, you know paranoid in his study. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does it. He does it great. And it, they kind of take this almost like surreal, like, like he because he's off of the cigarettes. He's kind of like you know hallucinating. Hallucinating. And I love that scene at the party when you know like everyone's like got these huge cigarettes and it's all this smoke and yeah. Everything. Alan, like, but you'll never. You, you haven't lived until you see the Friars Club comedic legend Alan King walking down steps, um, lip syncing to a cover of. I'll be watching you by the police. (laughs) (laughs) Or every breath you take by the police, which again is a a, a recurring song throughout the film, the cover. That was a hot song at the time. That's something I'd like to talk about really quick with just, I guess it's more about cat's eye in general is I... A lot of people criticize the framing device of the cat. I kind of like it though. It's, it's a fun. It's just a goofy yeah. way of connecting. It's not you're supposed to take. It I love. I love how they take. Well, there it was a their... cut scene, right, that explained the cat's purpose. That's oh, there was something about that, like cats being protective, and they uh, cut it because they said it was too silly. I mean, they had a thing about like the cat being a guardian, which is in well, a, no, a, it is it, though yeah. because I will say this. We'll talk about the framing device of the cat. Yeah, that pops up in the three stories. He's his name's. We, we call him the general later on. Yeah, the general. Um, so this cat's walking around, you know, as you will, as you will. The cat's walking around the city, and he sees uh, another another character that Drew Barrymore plays saying, you've got to find me and help me. Mm-hmm. And so it's him trying to get to Drew Barrymore's And she uh, plays she daughter. plays, And it's weird, she plays this, they call it, she's credited as Our Girl, mm-hmm. which is weird. And mm-hmm. so, but in this, she plays his mentally handicapped daughter. Or in the short story, it's his son. And he sh- and then so and then at the very end in the general she's just a little girl. Isn't in the- isn't the very beginning have references to other states? So like she- yeah. Okay. So here's the thing about that. So right off the bat, the cat's running away from a dog that's a Saint Bernard. It's obviously supposed to be Cujo. Like, our good friend Cujo. A good friend. And then <laughs> but then there's a there's a, a Plymouth Fury Christine. Mm-hmm. But it's which is which is enough, right? You would laugh. You see the Plymouth Fury. Yeah. It's funny. You see the Cujo. But there's a bumper sticker yeah. on the back of the car that says. Watch out for me. I'm pure evil. I am Christine. <laughs> bum- I swear. It's a bumper sticker that says that. I'm like, yeah, Wait, we sure? got it. I, thought, I swear. It's, I, I thought the license plate just I, said Christine no, or something. No, I, I made notes oh, while man. we were watching it. It's oh, on man, there. That's Watch really out funny. for me. Yeah. I'm pure evil. And I is, am and is there, are, are there any other... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so in this, in this short story, um, James... <laughs> We gotta find a still of it. It's great. James Wood's daughter <laughs> goes to um, St. Stephen's school. Ooh. Uh, Morrison, who's James Wood's character, he watches The Dead Zone. Oh, I even know that. In the short yeah. story, which is. Which is oh, funny does he say who writes this crap? Yes, yes. Which is great. And James Wood's typical smile. Stephen <laughs> King always does that. I mean, I, he, he does it in uh, Bizarre Bad Dreams a few times. I do, I do tire a little bit of like, the, oh, this yeah. is a stupid horror writer. Ha, 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 you know. But this is a very early instance. Was, Maybe the was. first instance of him being a little self deprecating. Uh, yeah, in a movie, thing. I think so. Yeah. yeah, and I love, I love how you know, I, I think I love how they open it with the cat getting captured by by Quitters Inc. to be, and the book it's a rabbit who goes on the yeah. shock floor, but here it's a cat. cat. Yeah, I really like it. I, I think it's, a, I think it has just a nice through line. And I'm with you guys. Doesn't, it, doesn't it use like magical music though in the beginning though? It's like oh, well, that's the other thing. This came out the same year as Back to the Future. Oh, so Alan Silvestri did both. Wow, wow. But this is this seems. Light years yeah. away. Clearly exhausted all eyes. his talents. I mean, from Back, Back to the, to the future. future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a banner year for Sylvester. But like, but done, I, well, let's let's talk about Sylvester for a second, though. Has he done any other good scores since Back to the Future? I think he still does stuff with um, uh, with uh, um, 
the Marvel Zemeckis. movies. I think he does stuff with Zemeckis. Though. Does he do the Marvel movies too every once in a while? He but did, they're so forgettable. I think he did the Avengers music. Who can anybody hum the Avengers theme? Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean he did like Iron Fist. Look, he but you know what? Get, get, get a couple day, of iconic. He, at the end of the day. He did the Back to the Future score, which is so the greatest. Congratulations! To anyway, him. with Critters Inc., um, I was <laughs> sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 the one thing I do like about this adaptation, though, is um, is that there is a menace to it. I think the short story, there's more menace to the actual short story itself. But this one has that classic creep show '80s menace, where mm. it's the, the it's it's almost like it's so pulpy um, and. And it's 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 kind of like um, affable in a weird way. You well, know, Mac like, brought up the going paranoid in the study, which that's not in the book, and I like that. I like how he has this thing of like, is someone outside my house? Does, and they do have a study stuff. scene in the uh, book. Yeah, there is one. In the but book he doesn't doesn't have a hallucination though. Yeah, no. that's well, like in in the movie, he actually it's confirmed that someone is in the closet. Well, oh, it, but really? it's funny the way they do. There's, there's a lot funny, of dark humor. Yeah. Like we mentioned the the horn that Kressner lands on in the ledge. Well, in this, James Woods opens up the closet and is like, oh, there's nobody in there. And so he takes up his umbrella and throws in the closet, and you hear this guy go, mm. <laughs> and, but, but, and then James Woods looks back, and he then sees he kind of sees... right? Yeah, he sees boots at the bottom, and then he just kind of walks away. <laughs> That's like eerie. Like, but it's like, funny, but it's yeah. like a funny, yeah, you know, it's a funny yeah. 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 I mean, I'd be scared shitless if that happened, yeah. but... It's treated a, lo- a little more lightheartedly yeah. than, oh, yeah. obviously, the book, especially in the book when they're going into, like, the many ways that they're going to, like, hurt his family. Yeah. They, they go into that a lot deeper and darker. Well, it's funny, though. In the movie, though, I think in the movie he says, um, you know, we'll rape your wife, but in the book he doesn't say we'll rape your wife. I think it's uh, it's darker in the movie. It's I'm not. Sure. They, there's no rape in the, in the, in the book. book. Yeah, yeah. And the, oh, but no. in the movie he goes, and then and then you know if you if you smoke again we'll you know we'll break your arm. If you do it again we'll rape your daughter. Yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. rape your wife. So it's a little. Yeah. That's kind of out of left field. And, yeah. And, the and they also the I brought this up when we talked about the the story the short story in the short in the short story where they talk about like oh if you don't lose the weight you've gained from the cigarettes well cut off your wife's little finger and in the story I think it's you know that's sincere right off the bat mm-hmm. yeah whereas I love what they do in this mm-hmm. he, they treat it just like a joke like everything's great now and that makes that final ending that much mm-hmm. more like ooh yeah. like that that it actually has a creepiness that, to I, it I, I, I think that's uh, it's a great such a good little addition yeah I like Cat's and to go back to to Alan King who's such a famous comedian and he's it, Stephen it, King's brother right no. No, I'm <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm just or like his uncle. No, but this yeah. kind of goes to um, him playing against type, and you've got Richard Dawson playing totally against type in uh, The in Running Man a couple years later. So, you know, it's interesting casting choices for yeah. by Louis Teague for Cat's Eye. Good job, Mr. Teague. Yeah. The third story of Cat's Eye, uh, and we're kind of jumping off topic here, but uh, it's kind of an insular thing. It's only from Cat's Eye, um, and uh, I guess, you know, Stephen King wrote the screenplay, mm. is a story called The General where the cat ends up at this little girl's home and they kind of take the cat in uh, begrudgingly. Uh, the parents don't want it, but the girl, you know, Drew Barrymore, just loves this cat. Uh, calls him the general. There's apparently this little goblin living <laughs> in the house that creeps out every night. And um, there's a story I think the father tells her about where, you know, there's an old legend where, you know, cats will sit on your chest and steal your breath. Mm-hmm. Um but you find out that actually it's this gremlin that's doing it, and then they just blamed it on all the cats in the in the past. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, that, that's that's interesting because the cat thing is tied to uh, night terrors, like people who have night terrors, um, and 
sometimes they'll they'll have a like what they'll see when they're having night terrors is there will be a cat on their chest and like that that's why they can't move which is interesting and but in in but in paintings like it's depicted as like a goblin or a demon yeah. that is the actual cause of like night terrors so. because there's actually a thing called old hag syndrome yeah where people um, wake up and there's a there's like a witch sitting on their chest yeah so it's very so it's very demonic very so like a small so witch think, or like a big witch uh probably a a, uh, probably a medium a big witch, witch. which is my favorite uh, dinner. Uh, I like sandwiches. So ultimately, you can see why King pulled from this kind of like haunting story of of these night terrors. Or yeah. Something something stealing your breath, which I think is a pretty creepy story. The goblin. The goblin, by the way, is not just like a like a played by a, a dwarf or anything. It's like a six inch high and uh, voice thing voice by uh, voice actor extraordinaire Frank Welker. Oh, yeah. Gremlins and uh, oh, yeah, he's love, on everything. Love yeah. Frank Welker. I do too. And yeah. they do a really good job <laughs> with the puppetry. Or well, it's it's all perspective shots as well. Yeah, uh, it's a guy in a suit, um, you know, with an animatronic looking face. I guess. Yeah, with like large uh, furniture to make him yeah, look small. Yeah, yeah, and and they do a good job with it. Um, it's kind of silly and 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 over the top. Oh, it's silly. But, it's a fun little creepy story. Yeah. Well, you know I would I mean? say for the most part, like the opening, the first half of that story is very creepy. But like when it's like on the record player yeah. and, and it's playing, the, you know, uh, <laughs> the police, whoa, 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 whoa. It, it gets kind of ludicrous and um, it is and silly. It, like the parents' reaction to like, oh, here's the knife. Like, oh, we were wrong. You know, yeah. like it's not a capper. Um, like it should not be the ending. Yeah, you know the movie, it, especially it, it, when it you is, have stronger stories. Because the first two are such adult stories. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so for yeah. the climax on this like one little is, ghost story with it's a the girl only and, supernatural story in there. But I, yeah. I, I really, I still do like it it's as fun. a story. Yeah. Great eighties. Oh yeah. And it, do, I don't know, see, it does make sense as the capper to me because it's like the cat's been going towards the, this is. Oh yeah, no, it, it does make sense with the, but the it's, cat. It, but it is weird to go from like oh, adults dealing with romance and addiction to a cat fighting a troll. I mean. How they made it where like the kid itself was like a problem, and it was like about ch- like raising children. Yeah, and that would have been a cool little progression that you could have had here to you know to be this yeah. like adult cautionary tale. But you see him right no. off the bat, right? Yeah, the first scene is like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you, know, <laughs> you know, I um, I mean, like creepy children is never really that big of a trope in horror. So like, you know, I don't know <laughs> if they could have done that. But um, uh, another fun fact: uh, Candy Clark. From American Graffiti, yeah. is plays the mother, mm. and she's really against having this cat. She's really, really against like the whole time. And a little fun fact: she's in bed reading a little book called Pet Cemetery. Oh, uh, so I wonder if she's not a big fan of church. And so she's not a big fan of this cat. <laughs> hey, and also, uh, the cat's name is General uh, Winston Churchill. Was he a general? Ooh, oh, interesting. Was it, right? Was he General Churchill? I don't, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it works for this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, interesting enough, uh, it was actually Winston Churchill who was uh, really big on the um, uh, the endowments of arts in this country. And um, you know, if we looked. <laughs> If we looked at his quotes, we'd realize that, like, the, you know, the NDA is, like, an important thing to have in this Um, you know what else is important? <laughs> Corn. <laughs> and the children that roam within it, and that brings us to the children of the corn, okay. 1984. Yeah, so, you know, children of the corn, um, again, it's just based on this couple that drives into an, what seems to be an abandoned town in Nebraska, and little do they know, it's been overrun by children who worship a god in the field of corn. That sounds really stupid. He who well, walks it's actually really effective. He walks down the road. It's very good. Um, I mean, the short story itself is actually a perfect setup for a horror movie. Because, like, it, it is, like, the, like I had said in the last episode, um, 
it's like the first 25 minutes of every horror movie and it just ends. Like, but I, what I like that about the short story though yeah. is I feel, and they had two options to go through. They, they had two options for this movie. Do you double down? Like we talked about, what were we talking about earlier? Um, oh, um, Graveyard Shift. Mm-hmm. Do you double down the suspense and just have them kind of traveling around this town maybe hearing footsteps or something like that for an hour and then reveal the kids at the end? At the end, Or do you have kids throughout the entire movie? Well, they have kids throughout the entire yeah. movie. Any suspense is lost. You actually, the movie opens with the children's um, massacre. The kid, one of the kids narr- yeah. Job narrates it. You've got a narrator yeah. who's only in like a third of the movie, but he yeah he narrates you know, a third of it. And it's despite d- you, like you just said, this is a great premise for a horror movie. Yeah. It opens with kids slaughtering their parents. Sounds pretty good. Where do we go from here though? At that but point? Like, yeah, but everybody's dead. Well, we go to boredom. <laughs> we go to boredom because town. this is the most boring. Movie. And the other thing is, in the in the short story, Bert and Vicky are awful people. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They're married, but they hate each other. They yeah. hate each other. But yeah. in this, Bert, who's played by another thirty-something veteran, oh. Timothy Busfield, played by uh, Peter Horton, should have been Busfield though. Uh, Linda Hamilton plays Bus- Vicky. Busfield yeah. never would have gotten Hamilton. <laughs> well, and the, and the, the problem is, never too, is because happen. this is Revenge of the Nerds era Busfield. Yeah, <laughs> it would like, have been. <laughs> but it's funny because this. I mean, Linda Hamilton did this, and a couple months later, Terminator came out. So, uh, uh, which, which one was the bigger movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh that's, man, that's the, the problem well, is too, how many how many sequels yeah, is true. The Corn Hat versus Terminator. That's a good point. <laughs> they start off. See, like Justin said, they start off showing this massacre. Which, that just ruins so much of right off the bat because there's nothing left for them to figure out because we already know it as the audience what happened. There's that. There's some... I, I, I usually hate when people pick apart like little logistical things in horror movies because it just bothers it's, yeah, me. Just, like, you know, when I watch Halloween with friends, I hate when they say like, oh yeah, run in there, that makes sense. But there are a couple big things in this movie. So the idea is that the children massacre all the adults and they, sacri- you know, they sacrifice me to turn 18 or, or 19 and eventually 18 and you know, he who walks behind the rose. It's assumed that this has been going on for a while, and that's what this movie sets up. But these kids are the exact same fucking age <laughs> in the beginning of like the of this yeah. here. So that in itself, I know, I, like I guess I usually don't pick apart that stuff, but you know, also they have Job doing it as this voiceover, like it's from his perspective, and the the initial massacre is from his perspective. But then they go, they cut back and forth between scenes with the corn kids and Linda Hamilton. It just doesn't make sense from a framing device, you know, how they It's do like, this. we're going about, like, it's like episode one, like the politics of Star Wars. Who cares yeah. about the politics? And they, yeah. so they, we're just like, we'll have, you know, Bert and Vicky driving around, by the way, once again, just totally in love with each other and just yeah. having a great time yeah. on this road trip. Take and like then you'll go to the kids in the corner in the church, like, talking about... What are we gonna do today? Well, we gotta sacrifice somebody today, so congratulations. And, <laughs> yeah, and we'll go back it. to Bert and Vicky, who are still walking around what seems to be an abandoned town. You've, you've sucked at the suspense. Yeah. We know it's not an abandoned town, so now we're just waiting for these kids to show up and for them to show up. It, it's, oh, it, it's basically um, what every surprise birthday party is because <laughs> you know what's happening. <laughs> and and you walk in, oh my god, look, all my friends are here, great. Like, you know, it's it, that's the exact feeling of this this movie. Yeah. All the, everything's set up, you already know it's going to happen, and you have to kind of pretend and yeah. be in their point of view. And the opening you know? is pretty good. Like, I don't know, it's an okay, yeah. it's an okay it, montage it, it, of, I mean, listen, of death. For lack of a better term, it, it blows its load in yeah. the first yeah. five, ten minutes. They, it's, I, it's, just, it's the maximum overdrive issue, once again. Like, mm-hmm. the, all the best stuff is in the first 15 I don't, minutes. It creams its corn. <laughs> it creams I don't its remember any other... <laughs> I know Isaac. I think what well, he gets like lashed to a corn crucifix at the end. I don't remember. Oh, no, no. Isaac becomes possessed. Also, oh, that's right. And, oh, we'll talk about Isaac too. Well, I'm um, just, I'm just trying to remember. Like they show all these these adult deaths in in the beginning, and because the only adult characters in the movie at this 
I think our our our. Uh, Oh, and there's the old there, man. There's the, gas the old station, who's right? a prune face from Dick Tracy, by the way. Oh, yeah. oh he like, shows up and he's literally just there. He he kind of. I got for way the too kids. excited about prune face. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> that was prune face. That's more of an influence um, guy myself, but uh, you know he's he's literally there because we need to have at least you know one murder in this ninety minutes of a horror film. And so he serves his purpose, and he gets killed. Well, off, that's the problem is that you open with this massacre of the adults, and then like they kill a gas station guy. Then they only have two other characters to be killed by the villains. And you know they're not going to die. Yeah, um, again, it's like con- contrary to the short story. These they yeah. don't because they're like good. Which the people. short story, like their deaths are so horrific. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. in this, it's, so it's just like you're there. What other violence or deaths are there in this movie uh, between the guests? There's a whole bunch of waiting around for for this climax to come. It's so boring. It's just just eternally boring. How about the ending of this movie? Oh, 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 man. We'll we'll jump to the ending, but then we'll... uh, The ending. Okay, so the ending, (laughs) of course, this blotchy red monster who is... He walks beyond Uh the Some of the worst special effects. I know it was 1984. Did they show it? I thought they just showed it. Oh, they show it. It's like this... I can't even describe it. It looks like animation, bad animation... It's like bed, bed knobs and broomsticks on a on the corn film. It's really bad. Oh, and so, but it ends with this bad jump scare where this little girl's in the back of a car and she goes to attack Bert. And then Bert, like, I think he punches her and knocks her out. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, what do we do now? And, and Vicky says, oh, we'll send her a postcard from Seattle because they're going to go to Seattle finally with the two surviving kids. We, we have a long shot of them leaving the car. No music. <laughs> They kind of stand up for a second, and they walk off, and then the credits start to just roll. It's it what? <laughs> and you, and you yeah. keep weird. You keep thinking the girl's gonna like come back out yeah, with yeah, her yeah, and yeah. the knife or something. So it ends do. on a it ends on a bit, and then the, then the credits just roll. And like thanks for thanks for watching Children <laughs> of the Corn. Well, they they look <laughs> it's like they look as confused about what they're supposed to do as what we're yeah, supposed like to when do. they're walking. It's like just I just love like the the image of them just walking from the car like. Is that it? That like it? just looking for the director. It's, like it's like they were getting pages of the script every day, yeah. and that they didn't realize that this was going to be the last scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, they're like, cut. Like, all right, guys, thanks so much for a wonderful time on set. And they're like, oh, wait, that's it. Wait, wait, what? Well, I, I feel like it was one of those like, things wait, where they're like, oh, we, we just played that for last. Can we do another take? <laughs> I feel like it was one of those things where they actually had like twenty-one more days of shooting technically, but then they found out the next day, or oh, we ran out of budget. So <laughs> they're, like, they're like, guys, guys, no guys we spent too much money on making the uh, monster. There are, but the good news is. is that they've greenlit like four more sequels, so we're you know this is a gr- we got we got a franchise on our hands. <laughs> a couple things I've got to mention. I wrote these down. These are direct quotes from the movie. I swear <laughs> to God. One is this: There's something very strange about this town. That's a line from the film. And the best though is I'm not kidding. What is it with this corn? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. There, what uh, is it with this car? Know what the ending reminds me of? Have you guys seen Leviathan? Oh yeah, yeah. Which I I don't. Oh, love you know what a, though? I love I, Leviathan. I love the ending. Uh, me and him. It, uh, it, it, it's so over the top. Because that's man. when they shoot up into the uh, out of the water. Though, right? that's no, no, no. I'm talking about when when Weller. Oh, when Weller. It doesn't even punches. Yeah. So in the end of Leviathan, the there's essentially. The, it's kind of like a ripoff of Alien, but it's in underwater and it's kind a deep of. sea monster. And it ends, yeah, the, the two surviving characters get back up to the surface and they meet the, I guess, like the Burke character it's, from it's, Alien. It's Meg, Meg Foster. Yeah, yeah. And, and she she's essentially made, she like made, funded the mission, made them go down there and, yeah. you know, she's like a corporate sleazeball. Mm. And she comes up to him and Peter Willard decks her and she falls into the bay, like she falls off the dock. And then, and then, uh, 
I think the one woman goes like, "Feel better." He's like, "I do now." And then they they leave and like that's the credits. I mean, I mean that that at least is a button a little bit, but it reminded yeah. me of the same thing. Like, oh, we're just gonna punch a woman in her roll that, <laughs> that movie is just like over the top and yeah. crazy and monster. It's a monster movie, so yeah, yeah. you give it some. You know, I I, I laugh. It's better than Leviathan's that. better than Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn tries to be I scary and tries. <laughs> Keyword tries to be scary, so but that ending just does not. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah. The Leviathan did that come out after the Abyss or around the time? That was right before time? the Abyss, I think. So it was right before the Abyss. Wow. Well, so well I'm sorry because Deep Star Six was oh, '86. You know, and uh, Alan Silvestri did the score to the Abyss. Ooh, yeah. I love the oh, Abyss. I take actually. it back. That's got a good score. A- Abyss has a um, uh, another King uh, regular uh, Ed Harris. Oh yeah. yeah. So. Um, I think the best way to sum up just how inept. Children of the Corn is, is that in the original theatrical trailer, Stephen King's name is spelled S-T-E-V. Oh my god, really? This is ten years later. This is is like he just showed up on the scene. No, it's funny. When I first started going to the library when I was like eight eight and nine and I was like allowed to read Stephen King books, I would go to the yeah you know, the old computers that were just like the orange like, bang, text bang. on the yeah on the black screen, and I would always because I didn't know how to search for books or anything. Like I could just gone to horror and looked on K. But so I, I would look up Stephen King and I would always spell it with a V and nothing came up. And I'm like, how do they not have Stephen King? It's like the most popular. And like, I, I, then I realized, like, oh, it's PA. Did you lose like three years of this? <laughs> yeah, just like, like, like what the finally, fuck? like, some woman goes, like, Oh, are you looking for it's Stephen P H? Oh, yeah, Mrs. Like, well, Blair. <laughs> but there's one, Blair. one more thing before okay. we go. One more thing before right. we go. We didn't mention John Franklin, who plays Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. Who's supposed to be this creepy kid? He's 25 years old in the movie, by the way. Wait, 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 um, wait. He has he has a like growth deficiency hormone. He does, thing, he does. So but so if, if but fear not, if you want to see more of John Franklin, just go to YouTube and type in Kids Incorporated the Leprechaun. Oh, is he? He American plays Kids Incorporated, yeah. a mythical, magical leprechaun in the episode of Kids Incorporated. Oh, if anybody remembers that show, I do. And he puts on an Irish accent what? too, and his face is painted green. Well, doesn't he? Oh, you watch this. Oh, no, wait, but d- and well, if you want to see more of him too, you can also watch uh, any, most of the Children of the Corn sequels. Oh no, he's only in Children of the Corn six six six. Isaac's returned, but oh. Isaac's in most of them though. The characters, but the actor only returns for the six. But I thought he doesn't he direct one of them or something. <laughs> oh God, I'm serious? You know yeah. You, again, we do not take the time to watch all of the Children of the Corn films. He also played uh, Cousin It in the Adams Family movies. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's pretty neat. Let me look at this. Children, the, yeah, the movies? Return. The actual, like, the, yeah, the ones yeah. with, like, Raul Julia? Yeah, he's yeah. got, like, the hair yeah. on and stuff. I, I, I always like the Adams... I think I like um, the Barry Seinfeld's uh, like Adams Family better than the actual TV show. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, the yeah. TV show is just a big goof. It's just a dumb sitcom, but, like, the movies are great. Yeah. He also had... Sorry, I mean this. This is actually kind of touching. So he did in 1999. He he did Children of the Corn 666. I, I was wrong. He didn't do any of the other ones. Um, and he said Franklin formerly worked as an English teacher at Golden Valley High School in Santa Clarita, California. He explained after the events of 9/11, I saw the shallowness of showbiz and felt a great desire to leave a greater legacy than just being cousin it. Teaching seemed to be a perfect fit for my theatrical talents and to touch many lives, which is a nice quote. Uh, I just think it's nice. nice. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. nice. Also, do you mention the fact that nobody was hiring him anymore? Yeah. Oh come on! Uh, hey, did he also forget? He totally like like bailed on his Children of the Corn uh, background. Hey, no, wait, that's he came a, back. Like I said, though, I know. Yeah, but like, you know, you know what, when I, he makes I, this yeah. quote, like he could have been like, you know, it wasn't just cousin it. He was also, you know, I guess, Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. I guess you are right because. Yeah, the last movie he did before that was a 2000 movie, so I think maybe he, maybe maybe the stars aligned for him to go into teaching. But he came back and did a movie called I, Hag and, uh, and Hell's Kitty last year. I just think it's funny, and maybe not funny, tragic more, and weird, that he would... <laughs> 
like say like oh you know it's been great being this cousin it he's covered nobody knows who he is <laughs> Isaac he his face is forever you could, we know who Isaac is I will say too he's not why wouldn't you reference he's not Isaac? bad in, in Children of the Corn he's not I don't know he's not the problem Guys, with the movie. I don't know. after hearing us talk about Children of the Corn I think we know why he distanced himself yeah, from yeah. yeah. I, I don't know I thought he was pretty bad well, I saw him recently and uh, okay uh we got more corn. <laughs> in, we got more corn, baby. Oh, man. Because uh, maybe they thought in 2009 they finally realized um, maybe all these sequels aren't really working out and we should just reboot this whole thing. And so in 2009 they did that with a movie called Children of the Corn. What? Now, here, here's the thing. <laughs> what a weird, totally different title. Here's the thing with this movie. I really do respect the the thought behind this because mm-hmm. they go, no, we want to make something that is more in line with Stephen King's story and is really scary and blah, blah, blah. Totally agree with all that because it is one of my favorite short stories by him. Now, we've covered this to death about all, all these things. This aired, on, I believe, on Sci-Fi. Mm-hmm. So it didn't have to be a, a feature line. It, they didn't need to do a two-hour block or whatever. Do an hour special. You can do a great Children of the Corn adaptation that is right from the book and, and yeah. has that tone. Instead, they decided to make it 90 minutes for whatever reason. Now, I watched this last night. Um, and I'd watched it. I'd I'd watched it like a while ago, but I, like rewatched it last night. Now, to be fair, they do everything that happens in Stephen King's original short story does happen in this. Like they hit all the events, but they pad it out with bullshit again, and they do the same. They make the same egregious error that the original movie makes, and that they open with, with not with the massacre of the adults, but they open with the congregation of kids and them essentially deciding to worship he who walks behind the rose. So bottom line is you you know already that it's going to be this town of all these creepy kids. Now, you probably know that going into Children of the Corn because by that point we've heard it, but it still ruins the mystery because you see all these kids all of a sudden. You you know what's going on, and so so that sucks the mystery out of it right away. And then, you know, they do the couple. They actually said it in the 70s, which is kind of cool. Huh. Um, they have, uh, you know, they have the couple. The woman's played by Candace McClure, Balsar Galactica, and... They actually double down on them, making them so unlikable. They oh. do the hitting and the yelling, but it, it's like the Shining Man series. Just because you make something faithful to the source material doesn't mean it's good necessarily. The acting is not great, and the and once they um, once they hit the kid with the slit throat, they start going back and forth between the kids' oh, perspective again. Yeah. They, they they which kills it. They show they show the kids watching them, um, and none of the kids are great actors. The kid who plays Isaac, I mean, they cast like an actual like. This kid can't be more than eight, but yeah. he, they're having him spew all these biblical passages the whole time, and he just can't handle them. And um, so, anyway, so do they, they get, die in the end. Yeah, so they oh, okay. die. So I will say the one good oh, thing wow. is they actually do the corn in the eyes, and Ooh. it's very creepy mm. and, and all that. That that that's th- always been an image that's that's laughing. It is, and they, they actually had the gore effects are really good. They do some of that creepy stuff, but you know the kids' costumes—they're on like that that Amish clothing, and it, <laughs> it it looks like it was bought it. They which is what those kids would be wearing, but they did nothing to make these kids probably found in Southern California or wherever. They did nothing to make them look like rugged, dirty, Midwestern kids who have been living on their own. You know, they, they have, like, mohawks and, like, tattoos. Well, they just have, like, there's still, like, some hunks in there. <laughs> they, they, some hunks. Like, the guy who plays Malachi is, like, kind of, like, a like almost, like, a 90s, like, Devin Sawa or something with, like, long hair. Oh, and so they, so they do have all this stuff. They even, they even show the oh, creepy, gosh. like, uh, Green Jesus painting, which is kind mm. of cool oh, and nice. all that. But they run into that problem. They trying to expand everything. So when he, when Bert runs into the corn, 
he is just running through the corn for so long. Oh, and he also, he's a Vietnam vet, which I think he's in the book too. He starts having Vietnam flashbacks when he, <laughs> oh, and, and starts killing the kids, like imagining. Oh, like, no. I will say they, they kill, they kill a lot of kids in this. That's kind of cool. That's nice. But, but they do, they do. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> no, you know, like for a shitty horror movie about yeah. creepy kids, like at least do that. So the gore, the gore is good. Um, but then they they do things like when you know how he gets um he gets stabbed by uh, just one of the kids mm-hmm. in, the, in the books <laughs> they do that but it's Isaac who does it and Isaac is on a rooftop in in town square and the rest of the kids have a hold and he's like preaching to them he takes his pocket knife throwing it down from a roof like a ninja <laughs> and it hits Bert he's like oh you little fucker and like that's you know, so funny I, I always it's thought that, crazy. that that scene in the in the actual story is so bizarre yeah yeah like, it's just like. Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. What happened? Like, it, it feels very, um, just kind of like, uh, I hate using the word perfunctory all the time, but it's just like, yeah. wouldn't you, like, kind of back away a little bit more if somebody was, like, if all these knives were coming? I just, it, I don't know. One, and, and he, and then, speaking of, like, going over the top, and then, I think they did, this had, this probably wasn't on sci-fi, but on the, uh, the director's cut because Sav always does that like Battlestar Galactica Razor they like put all this nudity in the, in the home video version that for, obviously was in there no reason so <laughs> while Bert Bert is literally wandering through the corn for the last three minutes of this movie and they, then th- this is where they add all this shit with the kids Isaac and the congregation <laughs> which I guess this makes sense I guess this is to make sure they have more kids and keep the population going Isaac makes this like young kid couple not young they're like like 17 probably have set like disrobe and have sex on the altar in front. Of, it's like pretty graphic in front of all the kids and the kids are all in an eight year old yeah. like bleeding. Oh, yeah, so all, so all the kids are getting excited about it. And uh, our friend Paul and I were watching this this morning. We were like, <laughs> we we're like, you know, they probably just filmed that separate and then cut back and forth between the kids. But like, oh, but these kids, these like eight year old extras are on set. They're probably like, oh my god, like. But this, so the kids are like, hopping up and down. The, this like young couple's like fucking on an altar. And so. I, I it's, don't nothing, know. it's nothing that no Hollywood kids haven't seen. Before. Oh yeah, they probably seen. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, so no. It, all Hollywood eight-year-olds. So, um, I, part of me admires how how uh, <laughs> how nuts the movie gets with the nudity and the sex. Like it it, it does deliver on the more visceral aspects of a horror movie, mm. and I do like that it somewhat embodies the tone of Stephen King's original short story. However, they it if it should have been an hour. It should not. You shouldn't see those kids. You should not see those kids until Bert figures it out. Because what's the point of him figuring out? If you see oh yeah, already? no. I mean, that, and, that, and that's what I mean. And the acting isn't great either. So I, I think it's slightly, but it's certainly more faithful. I, it's more faithful and it's slightly more entertaining, even just from like a violence standpoint than the original. Like you don't, you don't have that like, fuck. How long are we gonna wait for all this? So um, it's uh, and then in the uh, and they do do the thing at the end with like the the age being lowered and the eighteen year olds. Walking into oh, the court, cool. but cool. but it's acted like kind of crappily. And then the very, the very oh, but that's done in like an Easter egg scene. It's weird. So and so it ends with um, it's like a post credits. Yeah. So they end with like you see you see Bert, Bert and Vicky as the scarecrows, which or, which is like really um, mm. it, it's really unnerving. I will say the the corn in the eyes very creepy still. Mm-hmm. But uh, the very last line before the credits it is this little crappy kid actor as Isaac walks past uh, Bert is like on the cross. And he looks at him. He just goes, "Scarecrow!" And then, like, <laughs> and then the credit, then the credits roll, oh. and then you see the kids going into the into the corn. And you keep thinking, like, "Oh, cool! They might show he walks behind the rose now." But then, and they do the thing in Malachi, being like, "All right, I must go in the corn." And they just go to the corn. Just more kids having sex. No, yeah, yeah, you see that? No, no, they just go in the corn. 
And that's it. You don't see, you don't see them get killed. Well, it's like it's low like, budget. Low budget, yeah. You know? for sure. So anyway, that's my summary. Um, not good by any means. I, I, I still think if you did, like you said, do, do Children of the Corn as an anthology thing, yeah. don't show those kids until yeah, you, yeah. until they get to the town. I think they could do a really good do, Did they have, after the sex, did they eat donuts or anything? <laughs> they no, eat no corn, donuts. probably. They um, corn. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I've, I've had plenty of helpings of corn at this point. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to, uh, now that we've covered all the full-length films from uh, oh, Night Shift, we're going to talk about some of the shorts that um, have been made. Uh, obviously we didn't watch all of them there's so many out there but we're going to talk about some ones that we found notable and the first would be um, a non-horror story The Woman in the Room yeah one of my earlier memories is of going to Blockbuster and they had uh, a VHS copy of The Woman in the Room and The Boogeyman that you could rent it's the Night Shift collection it was the Night Shift collection yeah exactly but I didn't rent it um, <laughs> well, it'd be kind of a disappointing rental. It'd be like what, fifty minutes? Yeah. That? I mean, well, yeah. There's definitely short films, you know. But uh, so it took me, I guess, thirty years before I finally watched the woman in the room. And what's very notable about this is this is Frank Darabont's mm-hmm. introduction into the King canon. Um, this is a short film by him that he uh, proposed to do back in 1980. So he was very young when mm-hmm. he asked him to do this. It took him a few years to get it all together. Was he at film school Finances. still, I guess? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, at that time. I, did anybody else here see The Woman in the Room? Yeah, I yeah. I've seen yeah. It. It's available on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube. I, I remember seeing it also uh, in that VHS collection, and I, I wanted to rent it just because I was lo- into like everything King at that moment but my my dad I hadn't read either of those stories yet my dad was like yeah you're not gonna wanna watch these like, and he yeah, was probably right he Like as, right. as a nine year old I don't think I was gonna yeah. give a shit about it but um and Frank Darabont I mean I think it's I think it's telling that he went on to do two of the strongest Stephen King full length adaptations yeah like, he's got a really time. good history. three three which one he has The Mist yeah. he has, uh, three he has mile. mile and then he also oh Shawshank Jesus yeah. three of the best yeah, yeah. Mist I, anyway we'll get to that we'll later to that. but right. yeah but um and I think this is a uh, I think it's super telling the woman in the room. I mean, it definitely has that grainy kind of like. Uh, oh, it's very low budget, obviously. But you know. they, it, it does. Even just the way the mom looks in the hospital, like he captures that kind of like yellowing environment. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. The, yeah. the, the yellowing atmosphere is. I mean, the, especially the hospital room itself is just how you picture it yeah. when you're reading the short story. I mean, it's really. I, you know, we talked about. I, I feel a strong connection to that mm. short story, and I really do. I think he does a terrific job of the adaptation. This was on the shortlist, apparently, for Best Short Film at the Academy Awards the year it came out. Oh, really? Wow. Wow. Oh, but what's funny about that is that Darabont's kind of dismissed it. And I think it's in a way, though, where you would look back at something that you did 35 yeah, years ago like and said, yeah. you know, well, I didn't have the budget. I didn't have the greatest people available. But the... Um, he didn't have um, the, the, William Sadler in it. Did, the, that would be, <laughs> See, this would have been perfect, though. 1980 Bill, 1983 Bill Sadler would have been terrific. In the yeah. Or but, even like Lori Holden as the mother. Lori Holden. Now she in 1983. She could play the mother now, probably. <laughs> yeah, when she was like 18. Um, but there's a couple yeah. additions that they make to this. Um, half of it is actually him talking. He's a lawyer in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talks to a prisoner, um, his client, about, about death and what it's like to kill a person. Because he's contemplating, obviously, ending his mother's life. But what's really notable is the prisoner that he represents is the same prisoner, well, it's the same actor who plays the prisoner in Shawshank who brags about killing Andy's wife. Oh. So I was looking very closely at, at his numbers to see if it was the same, same if they were trying to do the same character. But two things. Uh, it takes place in the 80s. Yeah, I was going to... And also, and also the... the, the, the uh, the character in this is, is much. He's a much nicer, yeah. <laughs> as nice as you, as you can be if you're if you're a killer. Well, and I, I do like that framing device. We've talked yeah. a lot about stupid things they add to these these uh, films to 
pad them out. And I actually think that's something that directly comments on... Yeah. I mean, it maybe goes into over-expository uh, uh, territory that the short story does not, but I like that. I like the idea that that's a great like profession to add in to tie back, uh, it, you know, the, the idea of killing someone. And, and to that, I mean, it is it does feel like it could just be a... That, those, that's, that uh, specific moment with the lawyer and the prisoner feels mm-hmm. like it could just be like a staged play. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not yeah. very filmic, if you yeah. want to use that expression. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. If you've read the story, again, the, the short story is about this man who goes to visit his mother in the hospital and she is dying a slow, slow death, essentially. And he has to make that decision. Does he just wait and watch her in pain knowing that she's not going to get any better or does she, or does he make an active attempt to end her life on his own terms? Um, and I mean, that's, the adaptation is no different. I mean, it's a surprising adaptation because it's really hard. It's a, it's yeah. a, a lot of it's internal monologue. So it's, you know, yeah. you got to think like how would you be able to kind of put it to, you know, screen and, I think this really shows Darabont's strengths as a screenwriter and a filmmaker in the sense that he was able to kind of, he just knows how to get in that world of Stephen King and present it in a way that is so, like, tangible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that's yeah. what's so great about all his adaptations. Like, you know, all his characters, like, you don't really spend much time with this guy, but you really do get him. He, he does have a way of, he does have a way of adapting to King's dialogue. Yeah. And he he doesn't do it word for word all the time, but he does have. I think he just has a shared voice in terms of knowing how to tap into like common people, you know. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't know if that. I 100 percent agree yeah. because that's the thing about Night Shift is 18 of the stories are just supernatural or disturbing, mystery, suspenseful, and then you got the woman in the room and the last and last run the ladder. And so think about this: when this when he proposed to to make this, you know, when he proposed to King that he wanted to make this, all that had come out at this point in, in terms of. Movies. What King was known for was Carrie, Salem's Lot, and The Shining. So for him to say, you know what, no, I, I see something in this dramatic yeah. short story. In the Dead Zone, right? That happens to be, no, Dead Zone was a couple years later. Was well, it really? Well, he proposed in 80 to do it. Dead oh, Zone came okay. out years later. Gotcha, though. gotcha, yeah. So just Darabont knew then what King was capable of, well, not just horror. It and, speaks and, to yeah. what he was, what he really connected with with King. Because like, think about it, like The Mist was 2007. Mm-hmm. He didn't, that was the only one that really has anything to do with any sort of like, Monsters, you know, yeah. horror. Like, like supernatural. supernatural but yeah, but in, even then, it's it, it's not is, scary. It's not very scary, no. and it's very that's a that's a it's a kind of a reach to even put it in. It's still a dramatic. It's a very literary work of fiction. Yeah, I would yes. say. Um, you know, so I I, I I think that's interesting. I think this is a, a kind of cool. You know, we have a an early early feature on on our site called DNA um, that would also you know trace and mm-hmm. dissect all the sort of motifs and. Uh, hallmarks of a filmmaker and I think this is a great example of that yeah. and, and it like, goes to the leisurely pace too which is yeah. like absolutely echoed especially in something well, and, like yeah. Green Mile and it's, there's oh, no Green rush, Mile takes its time you know? yeah. it almost predates because it's funny now because when like uh, Marine the Bizarre Bad Dreams right now and that's actually for, for having that title is not a lot of supernatural stuff There's and a lot of those stories have gotten pretty prestigious awards and like I think it's safe to say now that even though King is still mostly known for horror it's not a stretch to recognize him like everyone knows Shawshank yeah. and Stand By Me and all that but back when Night Shift came out I don't think the um I don't even think like the woman in the room and the last rung on the ladder I don't even think those were like known, well known stories by, by even the point that when Frank no. Darabont wanted to adapt it no. so I would argue that you know, when Stand By Me came along, that was the first adaptation where they actively didn't want to promote the fact that it was Stephen King. Yeah. Like they were like, well, let's just make this a movie. But The Woman in the Room almost predates that. Like, he was... Mm-hmm. Not not that he didn't want to say it wasn't Stephen King, 
but this idea of no, yeah, I recognize I recognize that there's this other side to him as a writer, and that's why I'm interested, and that's why I'm going to capitalize on, and I, and I think he does to great effect in in, uh, in that. Well, I think like on when we're on that term, we're going to go from not capitalizing, like finding the other side of King, to yeah. indulging probably the basest oh, side of oh, King yeah, yeah. with the with the next short, which is uh, the uh, Mister Boge E Man, yeah. the Bogeyman, <laughs> Bogeyman, <laughs> Beaumont, uh, yeah, um, Bogeyman. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I mean I get why they package these together, but they are. They're similar in that this the boogeyman um the dollar baby version doesn't make it as explicitly supernatural as the book cuz this cuz all right so the book we we went over it's about this guy who's kid or the short story the, this guy whose kids have systematically been killed by what he calls the boogeyman and in the short story you're like oh, is it is it the boogeyman or, or is it him and he's telling this to a psychiatrist and then the story confirms at the end that indeed it is the boogeyman because he goes back into the office and the the psychiatrist is there like with a, a human mask in his head yeah. it's the boogeyman now the the movie's interesting because and I think this is more just symptomatic of not having a lot of money when they when they go to that section in in the movie they just kind of do this like doctor where are you and the doctor's face kind of comes out and it flashes and there's like some crazy yeah. noise and then it blacks out but it's not like super clear whether it's like oh is this guy the boogeyman or, or is it something else well know? he does no he takes off the human mask and it's it's I like, mean, here's the thing. It, it, it's it's a very low budget production. Yeah, very, yeah. It's, it's like almost in line with the lawnmower in yeah. a lot of ways. But and it makes the woman in the room look like it was chariots of fire in terms of production <laughs> yeah. value. Yeah. But there's something like uh, I guess charming is the word. Like yeah. what they were able to pull off with no budget, and you got pretty good performances out of um, the the main dude the who plays the character Lester. Like yeah. he, he captures just that gross ass scummy dialogue yeah, really well. Absolutely. You know, um, I th- I think because we talked about this the other week, I. I really I love that ending of the Boogeyman, and I love how it's like, you know, he he talks about like the seaweed voice and yeah. the just the sort of like um, doesn't he compare it when he sees the Boogeyman shaking his kid? It's like a hunched over scarecrow thing or something yeah. like that, like something from Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, and, and and although he keeps it fairly impressionistic, like he doesn't go super into what the Boogeyman looks like. There are enough details where like, oh cool, and I and I, w- I wish they could have done that here. And I know I know they couldn't. Yeah. It's just a money issue. It's but, definitely yeah. a money issue because you can yeah. tell when they even when they cut away from the him revealing. Yeah. himself as the boogeyman it's quick cuts and like camera flipping and strobes yeah and, and it's and, and it, but it but it isn't it is a nasty little movie and i think yeah, it I, how it's been a little while since i've watched it but like do they does he get as disgusting with the dialogue as lester billings does like with the the racial stuff and the the queer stuff and all that no i think they tone down on yeah, that a little bit did. he's yeah. a little more sympathetic but he's definitely disturbed and he's definitely not a perfect ideal father. and just and just as like that 70s like almost porn cinematography yeah, yes, yeah. that's the best it, way yeah. to describe it, it. does and it, it's so low budget that you know you 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 don't you're on board with like what's going on like you, you I, I guess it's so low budget and it feels so real to an extent that you don't believe him either yeah about the boogeyman stuff you know and and it just seems and he's such a seedy person you do kind of just think this guy is yeah. responsible you know like he's the one that's like yeah. killing them um and i obviously i wish they could have done more with the reveal but uh i thought it worked though yeah, it's and, still good, yeah. and you know maybe going into it knowing the story we were kind of built up a little bit more but i did think it ended up working really well well that's the thing I mean, it's, it's it's around the time of if not precursor to the the true like dollar babies that's that king still because these were allows. the first two i think right? yeah, they, I mean, yeah. these are like the most these were like the biggest ones of that era yeah. i guess at the very least and it just goes to show like the dedication and the love uh that that king's fans have because these yeah. are all like these are all 
passion projects. These are not like assignments or, or yeah. done-for-hires. I mean, the, these filmmakers love these stories, and they mm-hmm. want to tell these stories in the way that they've always seen them. And, and, and I think... I, I love that about the Dollar Babies. I think even... Uh, me too. And I think even in the worst Dollar Babies... Because there's actually a newer version of the Boogeyman that I watched. Um, it's 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 all re- it's not great. Um, it's in, it's English and it came out a few years or British. I can't no it's British. It's, it's either Scottish or English. I can't remember. It came out like a few years ago, and they actually do try and do they show the Boogeyman quite a bit, and it's like obviously just this like rubber mask. It doesn't yeah. look great. Now it it and it doesn't have the nastiness that this one does, but I there still is something cool about its spirit. Like yeah. I like there there's something that does radiate from all these dollar babies. Even the Lawnmower Man one we brought up, which is very is very faithful. Not necessarily a great movie, but there's something like scrappy about it that just like I mean, just like we're doing this podcast here. We just started because we uh, we, we don't make a bunch of money on this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, Spoiler. Yeah, but um, yeah, we really just it's we love talking about Stephen King, and a lot a lot of you have left comments. Someone on iTunes left a comment about how they would. Uh, they would they would watch like four hobos standing around a <laughs> trash can fire while, talking about Stephen King. I think if you're into his work, you totally sympathize with that sentiment. Like you, that is how you feel. And there's and that every dollar baby, even the worst ones, I think had that about it. Yes. Like there's there's the love that comes out that I really do enjoy. Well, if there's one thing that I know for certain, it's that this boogeyman is much better than the Hollywood 2004 <laughs> uh, the boogeyman. It's, that has nothing to do with Stephen King. No, right? no, yeah. it's so bad. That was a movie. I, I remember I was on a roller coaster with it between because the whole question is whether or not the boogeyman's real, and I spent the whole movie be going. Okay, the only way this movie can redeem itself is if the boogeyman's not real and this guy's crazy. And then five minutes later, I'd be like, okay, now the boogeyman has to be real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. literally kept doing that the whole time. Spoiler alert, it's real. <gasps> Does he look cool? No. Not it's really? all CGI. It's really bad. Oh, man. Um, well, let's move on then. Uh, and Kind of, again, we're going back to the opposite spectrum of the boogeyman with uh, Night Surf. Well, we were talking a lot about the Dollar Babies, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, this is uh, the offshoot story that's you know loosely related to the Stand mm-hmm. that was written before yeah. uh, the Stand was published. It was you know published in 1969 um, in a magazine. So it you know basically tells the story about a, a bunch of bastard kids that um, <laughs> go and enjoy a you know a night uh, like over by the beach um, in New Hampshire during and, the um, apocalypse. During the uh, apocalypse, they've all survived uh, this Asian flu. Of sorts, but then they start realizing that one of their members is actually getting sick, and one of the main characters, Bernie, is like the you know basically like related, seemingly spiritually related to Charlie Decker in terms of being an asshole. Um, <laughs> starts questioning his own uh, sort of uh, mortality, also, and it's it's very it's quasi coming of age in the sense of way, but they burn yeah. some gutty, buddy at you know at a pie, with a as a sacrifice to whatever gods to. Um, is it, you know, they, the guy was like, they find this guy, he's sick, and they, they kill him, and you realize these kids are really just far beyond mm-hmm. um, any sort of reasoning. Um, and the main protagonist is uh, clearly uh, not happy uh, with uh, his, the woman that he has to sleep with, with his, um, his lady friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a, a bunch of adaptations for this It's an easy one to because adapt. Because it's easy to yeah. adapt. You just need a beach, you need a bunch of kids. And um, uh, it's, you know, the Peter Sullivan, who is just a... Um, writer and director he actually won the the rights with the dollar baby bidding and he made one in 2002 which is really not good like it's mm-hmm. it's awful it's it, it looks like a bunch of friends got together wanted to make this movie 
um, and halfway through we're kind of like oh, I don't know if we're really into this anymore yeah. it's very like the, the acting is awful Like the, the, it looks like it's shot on like a VHS hand, ca- I'm, camcorder I'm trying to think because I've seen you know? I'm trying to think of the one I saw the one I saw is like a lot sleeker looking yeah. but that's, well, there's, we'll there's, that there's some later ones that are great yeah. like there was one in 2010 that I, was, I wasn't too big on but the two ones that I really like were um, uh, 2014's uh, American set one which was about 12 minutes long by um, Oren Benambar um, that one is is pretty decent. Like it, it it's very faithful to the story. Um, they don't um, they don't actually burn any. Uh, they actually don't do the. Bur- I don't think either. That's the, the one I saw. Did, did, are the guys a little bro? They're in very bro. That was yeah. my only issue. Yeah, and like yeah. the thing is, is like if it's more modern update, I can see why they're doing yeah. that. I, I will say but, though, sorry to cut off, but I. I kind of felt like they were pretty broy in the are. original version. Of it. They're kind of, they're yeah. kind of douchebag. Yeah. But the problem is, so. is that you're having it broy in 1970s versus broy of like the millennia. Like you just know, how they look different. Just yeah, how yeah, you yeah. Look. Yeah. These guys like, had like more like bat like. I, they, I don't remember they actually had this. I almost pictured like bead necklaces and like backwards. They look. They basically look like yeah, yeah. the the extras in like American Pie too. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. So yeah. like, yeah, it's 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 decent. It's all right. It doesn't really. It captures the sort of like malaise of like the of the post apocalyptic kind of. The scenario. dialogue's very deadpan. Dialogue's very yeah. deadpan. Okay. But the best version is by Tony uh, Tony Pumphrey, which is actually set. They they move the action to the UK. Oh, I and it's fourteen that. minutes. The cinematography is great. Yeah, um, it's it's shot. Very um, similar to uh, like Skins, yeah. And, okay, uh, cool. You know, in, in MTV or like the original one that before it went to MTV, and um, the acting is like really solid. Yeah, and, and um, it's I mean it's a little jarring because it's in the UK. Yeah, um, which is kind of funny because in the actual short story, there's a reference to like the waters coming from London. Mm. Um, like, oh, I bet you that the the waters came from London here mm. a few days ago or weeks yeah. ago or whatever. But um, is it in the, did they set it in the 70s or anything? They don't set it in the 70s. Yeah. Like the, the none of them are set in the 70s. Um, just because again, it's like a short film, so yeah, it's to like do, hard to you don't want to do period to do the period stuff. I think with yeah. a story like this, you don't necessarily have to. You don't have, have to. Yeah, no, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. have it set whenever. Because, well, I, for I mean, me, it's more like the idea of of listening to like a D- radio DJ and some of the songs they listen yeah. to. I, but I mean, like that's yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the DJ, they actually none of the adaptations actually even have the radio DJ, which is one of my favorite parts of the actual story. Um, but I mean, look, th- this this last one, the UK version, I I, I really like it. It's great cinematography. Um, the you know the, the actual overall scope of it is really nice, but I still think there is a better adaptation to be done. I think of of all the shorts, this might be the w- one of the rare ones that you could actually truly successfully adapt into a full length. Film. Mm-hmm. Would anybody agree with me on that? I can see that. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of like... that world to explore. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not at all against padding out a, no, uh, no. a shorter s- story in a movie adaptation. I just think it has to be padded out with valid stuff. You know, I, I don't like the Children of the Corn ones. It's just like, really, that's all you could think or of. Or the Mangler with Robert England's character. Hey, I, and... I, I like that. I like that little reveal that you guys told me about. Like the oh, we're all we all like we all, we've been burned by the Mangler, so we worship it. Now. That's, like, because, right that's, now. that's because it's like such a yeah, South Park no, I thing. Keep, <laughs> I hate to keep going back to this, but that is like. Plot device number eighty-seven. It's mentioned like for a split yeah. second. The movie's yeah. absolutely. It's because awful. they have to. They have to warrant it's a hundred or, or an hour fifty minute <laughs> runtime. They're like, oh, what else can we shoehorn in here? <laughs> I, I mean, looking back at this book, and if we were actually going to see like proper adaptations, like I do think, yeah, I do think a night surf thing could happen, like very Link Ladder esque yes. type thing, yes. but. I mean, I really want like a one for the road, but I don't know how you do it with it unless you don't have like a Salem's Lot thing. Like that's why like you need a cinematic universe of Stephen King. But yeah. I think like, one for the road would work again like in an anthology movie. Yeah, as like a great like thirty five forty still, minute. 
Sure, but you still need the Salem's lot. Know know what you do. Know what you do. I have no idea if they're if they're planning on doing another Salem's lot in the next few years or anything. What you do, you do what uh, Wes Anderson did with um, it was a Darjeeling Limited that had the hotel thing before, and you had you have whoever the director is do this like. 20 to 30 minute short film that's one for the road because it's kind of cool if you watch the after effects and then because they don't reveal they don't spoil anything in one for the road because they don't know Ben Mears or anybody like that yeah so you do it like that and then because no the town's pretty burnt down and yeah, but how did they get there? But what about uh, what about Jerusalem's lot? Yeah, I mean that that's another one I'd like to see. I, Del Toro I, would be pretty good. Yeah, on I, and I don't know if that could be like a dollar baby. I think that's another one that would need like you a, have budget. a budget. You, and, a and, budget. you need a worm, and you could you maybe make that into like an hour or so. Yeah. It's a pretty long one, but unless, yeah, unless you like got the actor who played Worm in Friday. Oh, I was think Worman he was uh, the drug dealer or whatever. But I, um, I think it's funny that you know, as we've been talking about, he's like, oh, we keep going like, oh, well, you, you could make this into a longer movie, and I think that's what all these people did was they uh, were set out to maybe make a short film, and they were like, oh, well, actually, we can make this a feature length film, and it was garbage. So yeah. stick to the thirty minute, forty minute. I mean, with <laughs> rare on, exception, what we like sometimes they come back. Yeah, let's other, what, let's, 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 yeah, let's go let's go through, through and let's say watch or don't watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's start from the beginning with Graveyard Shift, watch or don't watch. Really quick. Uh, no. Uh, no. 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 Whoa, unanimous. <laughs> uh, number two, what do we got here? Um, the Mangler, watch, don't watch. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, you gotta see it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually, I would say yes. Doesn't mean it's good, but you've got to check out Robert England and the Mangler. Um, YouTube <laughs> the scenes. YouTube the scenes. You said that like a Peter Travers quote or something. <laughs> You've got to see. He's fantastic. <laughs> what was, I wonder if Peter Travers gave this uh, this movie. He was probably writing for Rolling Stone at the time. He probably didn't um, review it up. The year's greatest film. Um, I uh, would say no. You, Unless you, you have a great large hey, pizza with you, that's I, I, no. I, I'm on board with what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Just, YouTube, just YouTube the clips. Did okay. you say a great large pizza? Like, if you, you have a great large pizza... That is such a weird way to say A great that. large... Yeah, it is kind of a weird What's way. funny is... A great it, white shark. It great only, large it, pizza. It only took us two movies to, to go away from our just say yeah. yes or no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where's, all right, all right. Allison right. would have I'll, righted this ship by Yeah, now. I know. Uh, Battleground in the Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Uh, I haven't seen it, but it sounds good. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's on YouTube. Check it out. I haven't seen it. Uh, yes, definitely. I'm a yes. Um... Uh, uh, maximum Overdrive. I'm gonna say, watch the first 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, watch the first 20 minutes and then uh, just eject. Hey, I'm gonna say yes. I like a. Right. <laughs> we already know. Uh, that's enough from Dan. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna say no, no, no. A hard no. I'm gonna say yes, but watch the first 15 minutes. Um, I'm just gonna keep uh, shortening this time until we get to zero. Well, I'm the only one who watched 1997 Trucks, and I'm gonna give it a hard no. Even with Busfield. Uh, Busfield, watch uh, what if you're a Little Bus- Big What if you're a Busfield completist? If you're a Busfield completist, then you gotta watch it. <laughs> and you have but... a really sad <laughs> hobby. And you've gotta watch another USA movie he made called Strays about mean cats. Ooh. Oh, no. Are the cats the bad guys? Oh, yes. I can't watch that movie. Oh, no. Um, I love kitties. Uh... <laughs> Next movie. <laughs> the Ledge uh, in Cat's Eye. Yes or no? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Cat's Eye all the way through. Uh, yeah, Cat's absolutely. Eye the whole movie. Yes. Well, then we're just going to say a yes for Quitter's Inc. too. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all in. I think it's a cool. yes throughout the whole thing. Um, and then we've got The Lawnmower Man. I've actually, I have a huge confession. I've never seen it. Uh. I have not seen it either. I'm going to say no. It, it's no. it's not the worst movie in the world, but it's j- just given the 
crazy lead up to every no 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 <laughs> I'm gonna revise and say uh, watch the trailer for the the virtual reality sex the hint of it because it's so titillating skip actually skip the original one and just go straight to Job's War watch the trailer for Lawnmower Man two Beyond Cyberspace <laughs> yeah aka Job's War it's a lot of fun for Matt Furrer there's yeah. sword fighting okay yeah, there is sword fighting uh, Children of the Corn hard no. No, no, for for both of them. Yeah, I, I don't. I, although I, the remake has more things to praise, I, I still don't think it's worth your time. That's an absolute hard no on the uh, <laughs> on the on the Horton star on the Horton vehicle. Uh, yes, I, I mean, I mean no. And I should say we all have a pretty high tolerance for shitty horror movies. Yes, we do. Oh, not, like, not children of the corn. Let's though. emphasize that we are not snobs here. No, no. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, woman in the room short. I've not seen it. Not seen it. Uh, yes, absolutely. Watch it. Absolutely watch it. Yep. Boogeyman. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, Night Surf. Uh, which version? Uh, go for 2015. 2015. That's what it's out. Which yeah, we're going to post on the on our socials. I'm going to go home and watch that. It's cool. Um, well, I think that about wraps it up. Um, guys, we're through Night Shift. Uh, what a journey. Oh, yeah. Oh, we wait. Got, we got for- one more. Oh, we forgot sometimes they come back. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen it. Uh, yes, definitely. Mike hasn't I have not seen, seen it. it. Uh, okay, okay. So now we're done <laughs> with Night Shift uh, officially. And um, so that means in two weeks we're coming at you with The Stand, which is going to unfold over. We're not sure how many episodes yeah. yet. We have some special surprises. Yeah, we've got some surprises in store for it. We've been working. We got a lot of uh, plans because, you know, the stand's a big one. So if you haven't started your reread yet, you better get on that. And uh, Allison will be back for that episode. Allison, Allison will, be back. will be back. You know, until next time, long days and pleasant nights. Constant and listeners. Bye-bye, Night Shift. Bye-bye, Night Shift. I love you. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network.